Hi and happy holidays. It is Spike. The Ricky will return Sunday, December 31st. But until then, here is something to tide you over. We do a music podcast. When I say me, Mootloo and I do a music podcast called the Carl Landry Record Club. And every year at the end of the year, we do a pod about some of our favorite music of 2023. We do the pod with Jason Lipschitz of Billboard and Andrew Underberger of The Ricky and also of Billboard. We all bring songs that we like. We talk about about them. We all listen to each other's songs. It's a lot of fun. Every other week on the Carl, we talk about two different albums, one that we pick and one that you pick. We've done over 225 albums at this point. If you want to see the list of albums, go to carlandryrecordclub.com. You can subscribe to the pod anywhere that you get your podcasts, which is such a weird thing to say. Of course you can. But without any further ado, here is the year-end episode of the Carl Landry Record Club, the best of 2023. Welcome to the Carl Landry Record Club, a music podcast from the rights Ricky Sanchez, our annual best of episode. If I remember correctly, so it's me and Mutlu, and of course we have Andrew Underberger and Jason Lipschitz from Billboard, Andrew Underberger also of the rights Ricky Sanchez, Jason Lipschitz also of numerous national TV interviews <laughs> in the morning, morning interviews. I didn't even know, that. I just, every time I look on Twitter, I see Jason being interviewed by, so Jason, tell us, what is with this Taylor Swift? And you go, it's really interesting, Lauren. Uh, Taylor Swift has been very big this year. And then, that, that's like scarily accurate for how that actually goes down. Yeah. So I, if I was trying to remember, we didn't have us all four together last year, I don't think. Was Jason on? We did two on? split episodes. We had Jason on first, and then I think yeah. AU jumped on with us on a, on a separate one. Yeah, so, so it's, it's good to have you guys. Jason, how has your year been? This will be your last podcast ever, right? <laughs> this, will be my, this will be my final podcast ever uh, because uh, my wife is having our baby in, her due date is one week from right now. Wow. Um, wow. So that's that's a wrap for me. It's been <laughs> fun hanging out with you guys. I'll see you guys in 2041. In <laughs> right. um, yeah, it's been a it's been a great year. It's what you know, wild and, and crazy, uh, but uh, really enjoyable. And AU, how are you, friend? Doing well? Oh, yeah, you know, can't complain. I said this, this was the, uh, the busy season at Billboard the last uh, two, two to three weeks especially, but got through it. Now we get to, now we get to unwind a little bit. I'm excited well, to do that with y'all. I always love the end of the year. Carly Landry Record Club. It is a favorite episode of mine to go through these. I actually listening to your your. So we all picked four songs. I, I actually didn't have as long a list to choose from as I thought. Like my my this might be on the list came was like eight or something. So I cut it in half. It wasn't that long. But I feel like over the few years, Jason and Andrew have almost succumbed to what I might like as opposed to pushing things on me that I won't like. And they each <laughs> pick like one that I won't like instead of picking two or three that I won't like. Is there's, there's always one. There's always one. one. You can yeah. tell right away. more open-minded in your, in your middle. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I, think it's, it's, I think that's not us changing. I think that is you changing, Spike. That's possible. That's yeah. definitely possible. So I remember uh, listening to a Carl Landry Record Club Featuring Andrew Unterberger from a couple months ago, in which uh, 
you guys talked about Noah Khan and and mentioned mm. Zach Bryan, and you said that just couldn't you just couldn't get into Zach Bryan, and now and now yep. look at you today. Yeah, <laughs> that it's changed because then we did the record, uh, yep. and so I think there was a like a one eighty, a total one eighty. Yeah, wow. I mean half of my, I mean we each pick four songs, but two of the four songs that I picked as my favorites of the year came as listener suggestions from Carl Andrew Record Club, which has been a like almost my primary source of listening to things that I haven't listened to before. So, so, so we each pick four songs. Um, I'll get longer lists from you guys if you want to give them to me so we can just put like a master Spotify list out there of stuff that you love. Just, you know, give people more rather than less. That is the the internet. And I guess we'll just go through song by song and, and uh, rotate guy and we'll talk about what we like. But I, I, as far as year in music on my end, it felt like the stuff that I loved, I really loved, but I didn't have a huge list. I don't know, Moot, how did you feel about your list and the other, and Andrew and, and Jason? Well, I think um, for me, actually what helped me to uh, get into the list a little easier this time was the fact that we pick singles now during the pod uh, yeah, each yeah, week. Yeah. So in a way, it's like you get... <clears throat> You get an opportunity to check out different bands and different different records or singles that I wouldn't have otherwise listened to. So that made it easier for me to kind of pick than previous years, I would say. Hey, you, what was your, how big was your list compared to other years? Like when you were going through this, obviously you do it more substantially for Billboard, but I'm curious what your, your year was like. Yeah, well, I should say the four songs I picked are not necessarily like my four very favorite songs of this year. We, we've already talked about a couple of them on previous episodes of the Carl, and some I just didn't necessarily see the point in us talking about because they're you know big big pop hits or, or or just didn't really seem like they would be of particular interest to the group. But uh, in terms of my, I, I, I'm still kind of working on my own. You know, I, I cast a ballot for our Billboard songs list, but that's not entirely the same thing as my own personal list. Yeah. I'm, I'm still sort of in the final stages of my own personal list, but I think. Uh, I would I would characterize mine this year as sort of middle heavy um, and actually sort of the opposite of, 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 of how you're feeling. Um, mm-hmm. There weren't necessarily like 10 songs that I'm like, OK, these are going to be like my favorite songs of the decade, my favorite songs like of all time, potentially. There's a couple, but it, that that part of it was a little bit thinner to me. But there was a lot of stuff that was like, oh, yeah, this is good. Yeah, like this is pretty good. I'll listen to this again. Like this, this, this is a keeper. Uh, so I'll, I won't have trouble getting to a, a, like I, I do a top 100 every year. I won't have any trouble fleshing that out. But the top 10 is going to be a little bit less automatic than it probably would have been in years past for me. What about you, Jason? I my year was definitely more albums heavy than singles heavy mm-hmm. because you know for Billboard we submit an uh, best albums, favorite albums list, and a favorite songs list. I had trouble with the songs list hmm. even like my my very top five favorite songs from this year i was like ah, oh, they're pretty good like they're not like all-time favorites of me uh but i i had like 20 albums this year that i i really really enjoyed so, some of which and we'll get into them some some of which i like loved but way more that i was just like this is great i love having this on repeat um so yeah it was it was a little bit strange in that way but the thing is i i, I picked four songs for this podcast that kind of reflects some of my favorite albums and 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 there's still some of my favorite songs but less like this single like yeah define the year for me it's more the albums for me hey you why don't you pick one from your list to start off all right well i'll I'll get the one uh, out of the way that i might not have picked if we had done this discussion a couple days later which is uh Nicki minaj and lil uzi vert's everybody Telling all, oh, leave it is all my, but the never bag on my. Bye. 
which was sort of an, in, an instant uh, crush for me. That album only came out uh, last Friday. I'm sorry, a, a week ago Friday, so eight days ago. But uh, And I, I haven't necessarily loved uh, the last couple Nicki Minaj albums uh, or you know, sort of the stuff that she's done in between. Uh, I do think she's one of the best rappers of my lifetime, going back to her sort of Pink Friday peak uh, at the early 10s. But this album I didn't really have high expectations for. And I wouldn't say that I love this album either, but I, I do like a lot that's on it. And I, I, I like her when she's sort of bouncing off the walls a little bit. That's my favorite version of Nicki Minaj. Uh, and this is a good example of a song that she's done versions of before, especially recently. And that, and that has actually become kind of like an, a, a sort of staple of the last few years of pop music, which is the, these, these, these songs that ride very heavily on uh, recognizable samples of interpolations from usually around 10 to 20 years ago. Uh, the, 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 her biggest example, uh, which, which actually goes back a little bit further, but she did a song, uh, last year called super freaky girl. Uh, it, it was close to like an exact recreation of the production to Rick James's, uh, super freak, uh, which is obviously a song that's very well traveled in hip hop history already. Uh, and her version of it, you know, she, she, she put her spin on it and it wasn't a bad song, but it kind of struck me as being a little bit uninspired just because it really took the entire uh, beat and, and, and sort of uh, the, the entire production of, of the, of the Rick James original, which is already such a, a played out song that it's hard to, for it to really feel fresh again. Uh, this is her doing this the right way. I think this is her taking a song, uh, junior seniors, move your feet, which wasn't actually like a huge pop hit at all. Really. It, it never even hit the hot 100 uh, in the U S uh, but it's still a song that I think everybody knows, or at least everybody's familiar with. Uh, it's been used in a lot of commercials. It's 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 a very sort of a, a easily easily identifiable song, and it's the kind of song that if you hear it once, you'll probably remember it close to forever. Uh, so it doesn't feel as played out as some of the other samples that she and other artists have used. And she she does my my favorite thing that artists do when they sample songs, which is they they kind of interact with it, where like the, the 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 sample becomes part of the verse too, where she like like it'll 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 trigger the first word, and then she'll kind of fill in from there. And she does it in a lot of kind of new and interesting ways. Uh, and it's also a good example of a song to talk about from this year because it's got this uh, this very Jersey Club influenced beat, which that's sort of like syncopated thumping that you hear in the background and often comes with like bed squeak sounds. And it, it's it's a it's a sound that became real. It's been bubbling in the underground for a long time. And obviously it's been a, a staple in, in New Jersey forever. But it became a, a major part of the pop language this year, uh, largely uh, thanks to the song's guest, Lil Uzi Vert, who had a, a huge hit with uh, uh, Just Wanna Rock, which also became like a Philadelphia anthem. And like I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you all are familiar with that one. Uh, so I, I thought this song was really successful for that reason. And it's, it's already become kind of like a pretty big TikTok hit and a big hit on streaming. And I think it's probably going to it's, it's a little weird to talk about for this year because it only came out a week ago and it's probably going to be a much bigger part of next year, actually. But I just think it's it's an interesting sort of summation of a lot of things that have been going on in pop music the last 12 months. And I, I think it's one of the best pop songs of the year. What do you think of this one? Yeah, I really like this one. Uh, what did you say? You said it's a Jersey Shore or Jersey Sound? Jersey Club is, 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 that, is, the, is that kind of dance music that you sort of hear the thumping in the background. Because the way I heard that was uh, like dub. It made me think of a dub track. Okay. Sort of, I guess. Uh, but maybe the Jersey uh, Jersey Club thing is the same. When I think Jersey, I think, I don't know. I don't know Jersey, what I Jersey Springs Club. Bon Jovi, yeah. Yeah. I will. I will say Jersey Club. It was predated by the the genre Tommy Down the Shore. Yeah, right, right, kind of, right, right. So your direct influence on on the Jersey Club, you know, Jersey Shore beat. Tommy's influence has been tremendous, but not a lot of people know it. You guys no. kind of are aware, but not a lot of people know about it. But yeah, I, I love the, that track because it has that 
sort of uh, echoed verb sound on the vocals. And then you were kind of mentioning this, but the construction of the song, where it's almost like the whole song is a hook because there's that body line and she kind of answers and calls and respond, does the call and response thing with it. And then Little Uzi Vert's section is kind of like the bridge, just kind of changes it up just enough. Uh, but this is one, man, you got to crank this thing up. This is like... <laughs> But first I listened on the head on the headphones and then I put it on the stereo and I was like, yeah, it's like it's that thump of the of the drums that's just that's uh, intoxicating. This one's not for me. As I was reviewing it later, I was like, what was I thinking picking this song? There's no one's going to care about this at all. Can I be honest? I, I do try to because there's one later on that I would theoretically be not for me that I actually got mm. into. I did try. Nicki Minaj is like a rapper that I want to like because I love how aggressively she raps which sort of harkens back to rap that i di- that i did enjoy you know but i i just like it doesn't it didn't do anything I, I i don't hate it or anything it just i couldn't connect to it anyway uh jason are you a you a Nicki minaj I, guy do you yeah like i like i like this song i don't know if i love this song um i was a bigger fan of super freaky girl oh. uh by Nicki last year um my that song came out like a couple weeks before my sister's wedding last year and it was like that was like the centerpiece of the wedding reception um everyone just uh absolutely loved that song because it was a bunch of 17 year olds at the wedding who yeah it was just all 17 it was (laughs) (laughs) listen people people love Nicki minaj uh that was a pretty undeniable song i will say about this song i really enjoyed the multiple times i was listening to it again this morning i really enjoy the multiple times where uh she and Uzi both use the body interjection to finish off Vince Lum body. It's, it's, like, it's so that good. Does, it doesn't make any sense, but I love it. Moo, why don't you pick one of yours? Okay, let's see. Why don't we go with uh, Faye Webster? That was Faye Webster was an early uh, CLRC discovery listener pick. Was, was an early listener pick. And since then, every time Spotify tells me something new from Faye Webster, I listen every single time. Yeah, I've I've been all in. All in on her since the the record we discussed at the time was Atlanta Millionaires Club. And it might have been not too long after that came out because I think it was. Yeah, that came out in 2019. This was maybe late 2020, early 2021. Yep. Uh, but what I love about her, 26-year-old uh, Atlanta-based singer-songwriter, what I think makes her very unique is two styles that she brings together that are recognizable, but the way she does it is distinctly her own. She has the indie folk element, which you, which is recognizable, but then she brings in these R&B influences. And then I think the third, the secret weapon is the pedal steel, the way yeah. she uses that sound in all in most of her records, it sounds like. Maybe not every track, but... Uh, I love that combination. Another, uh, kind of like the last one, like the Nicki Minaj one, unconventional construction to this song. You kind of have the A section, the verse, which is just her strumming, understated vocal, but then the, it's answered each time by this piano line, which is kind of like a hook in and of itself. And then there's a C section. Oh, that actually doesn't sound right in, well, you know, in music terms, C section. C section. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> and then there's not, a part of the song not, where they cut the baby out of the woman's yeah, stomach. Not, not, not yeah. that kind of C-section, yeah. but a third section that comes in. Faye Webster uh, is still recovering. She gave it all yeah. on this record, truly. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I needed, I needed you to like somehow uh, metaphor that up, because yeah. so, otherwise this was going to go in a weird place. But it's a third section uh, where the pedal steel comes in, and it's always... She uses that sound in a way that's different. You mostly hear that a lot of times in roots music, Americana, country. But the way she uses it is generally a different kind of context. I love this uh, sort of conversational clarity that she has to her singing. And her delivery just perfectly uh, communicates this very conflicted nature of the lyric, which is basically it's a song about wanting to find intimacy with someone, but without feeling tethered to them or beholden to them. And uh, maybe that's something that's relatable to some people. It's like, you know, you don't want to go in too far. Uh, she has like a couple lines like, I want to sleep in your arms, but not kiss. I long for your touch, but don't miss. Don't want to regret any of this. I want to see you in my dreams, but then forget. We're meant to be, but not yet. You know, it's all, it's just like back and forth. And uh, I just think she's, I'm really bummed. She was on tour this year and I didn't get to see her, but I've heard she's great live too. And uh, I think this is just another example of what makes her special as an artist. I need to I've know why he was she, laughing. Uh, Sorry, Why were you laughing? Me? Yeah, you were laughing at some point in the early in the description. I just I thought you might have something on this. That's why I. I, I oh, I, I don't remember about that okay. specifically. But I, I wanted to say that uh, I've heard that the live she does yo-yoing. Have you, have you heard about this? No. <laughs> oh, actually, yo-yo. Like uh, yeah, actually yo-yo. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I should double check that first. But I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, she's got like a like a pretty like heavy following. Like, not, not just like in the indie world, but like she, like her streaming numbers are really impressive. Uh, I love the song. I I, I I was familiar with the song already. I'm not like a huge Faye Webster person, but I've always liked what I've heard. Uh, and yeah, like, like the, the sort of unpredictability of it is really yeah. refreshing, especially that it still, it still feels like a pop song. It doesn't feel like, uh, it doesn't feel like it's free associative. It feels like it's very tight, but it takes you to unexpected places. And it's got those kind of trigger words where like, like you, you, she'll, she'll say the title of the song and then the entire song switches. I love when songs do that. Uh, Little Alex G to this. I, I don't know if we've ever talked about Alex G on this uh, podcast before, yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of Alex G, and I, I can sort of hear the the sort of, the sort of melodic, the kind of minor melodicism of it. Really reminded me of him. Uh, great song, yeah, great choice. It's an great interesting song. comparison to Alex G, actually. Mm. Yeah, the uh, the I, I agree with a lot of that. the The only thing I wanted to say was that it took me a couple times listening to the song for the the last section to kind of click in place because it really does like stop dead. Like that song, it song just kind of hangs in midair for a few seconds. But then I was like, oh, it's it's just it's really clever. It's really smart how it it's like she's almost like checking in. It's almost like an epilogue for the story that she's telling. And I really liked it. I think she's a genius. She's awesome. And the 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 I think the un predictability of like the the phrase fearless is used a lot in music sometimes but i don't know that it's always true the reason that she has such a dedicated following is because she is that way like the her music is so different from song to song and record to record that she is not following a normal path of you know, how to build success come up with a song that people like and continue to do that you know she she continues to like sort of reinvent in this familiar yet different every time way. I think her voice is sort of singular and how cool it is. And I love her ease of delivery in which she is sort of talking and sort of singing, but, but has a great voice. And you were mentioning the lyrics in this song. 
her, the economy of her words is, is also impressive in that there's not a lot of, we, we, Moon and I have talked a lot of times about how many lyrics some songs have in them, whether it's like Gang of Youths or Manchester Orchestra have like a lot of lyrics, whereas some have so few, but mean so much. There's not a lot of lyrics in this song, but she says a lot and conveys the entire story in, in only a few songs. I think she's awesome. I can't believe I haven't seen her. I would, this would be one that I would mark down and make sure that I saw, but I think she's awesome. And the yo-yoing thing. See, that makes me like her even I Googled more. it. It's a real thing. She's got a ton of yo-yos. Yeah, like, yeah I posted it in a we'll see. chat. Yeah. That just means, I mean, just, that means I'm an even bigger fan. I used to love yo-yo as a kid. I don't know if you guys... Yo-yoing was a thing when Moot and I were a kid. Like, there yeah. was a, like a yo-yo. <laughs> Back even, in our days, kids. Well, they uh, even we, made we, we caught like an aftershock of that, like probably 10, 15 years later. It didn't <laughs> yeah. last very long, but it was definitely a thing for a minute. Well, and remember, I don't know if you remember, they made yo-yos that would automatically come back up for those who could not yo-yo. It was like, it was definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason, why don't you pick out one of yours? I just, I just want to, <laughs> I really enjoyed that interaction of Spike saying, she's got a ton of yo-yos and Moot, and Moot saying, now I'm an even bigger fan. <laughs> it's like, I like, sure, I like her music. But she's got a ton of yo-yos. Of yo-yos. Puts it yeah. over the top. Just totally yeah. puts it over the top. My first song, let's do Ryan Beatty. So Ryan Beatty. Couldn't have me if you wanted. I cut all the bruises off the peach. Not as beautiful, but still as sweet. There you go again with all your This is uh, my favorite album of the year. Ryan Beatty is a, a former YouTube kid. Like he, he's just kind of in the early 2010s got famous off of YouTube covers, has been kind of kicking around doing his own stuff uh, for a few years. Also probably pretty well known for his work with Brockhampton, kind of guesting on a lot of their songs, most wow. notably their song Sugar uh, sings the, uh, which was, I think, A, you can correct me, but was like... That was a, a Hot 100 hit for. It was. I, I didn't. I did not know that Ryan Bader was on that song. Yeah, he sings the hook of that song. Um, so this uh, album, Calico, is his third album, and kind of just like growth by leaps and bounds on this album. I, I just I loved it. I I, I definitely you know. I, I'm kind of shocked that uh, the critical community has has kind of slept on this album just because it feels very like year end listy to me in just his aesthetic. And and for those who haven't listened to him, it's kind of like a, a like an R&B, but kind of a rhythmic pop sound. This song, Bruises Off the Peach, which I, I uh, selected, is kind of the most straightforward pop song on it. But at the same time, I, I really love how he plays with structure that i mean there's one verse of this song then then he kind of doubles back on the bridge and doubles back on the chorus and then it kind of evaporates but i just love this song i love his voice um it's just like a kind of classically soulful voice uh that translates well across the entire album and and uh, honestly i've done the kind of back catalog dive after this album came out and and really appreciated it um his his earlier work but like this is just so advanced to me it's just so affecting and um yeah it's just a great hook and and i just i I was curious what you guys thought of it but i just i've been totally enamored with him and and this album this year it's interesting you mentioned that this one is is 
like straight ahead in terms of its structure in that the music itself sounds like it would have a big album that does not have a ton of structure. Like I, I that the songs would be four fifty seven rather than like three fourteen yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So it, it like. I, th- I thought that was an interesting conflict in what I would expect from this kind of music and this particular song. I thought this song was really, really pretty. I liked it a lot. It, it, this, is, this is one of those songs that makes me want to listen to the artist more, you know? Moot? Yeah, I think uh, the concept, I love the concept of the tune, what's actually being discussed. Uh, seems, at least in my perception of it, seems to be a reference to someone who's bettered themselves in the context of a relationship only to find that whatever dysfunction was there didn't really have anything to do with them. And then that line, at least that's what I get from that line. I love like uh, you're talking about the economy with Faye Webster. When one line can tell you so much about what's being expressed, you know, the, uh, I cut all the bruises off the peach, not as beautiful, but still sweet. I mean, that's just a great metaphor. And I've never heard, I maybe heard that sentiment expressed like that before, but never in this way. He has just one of those voices that are, this clarity, it's just, there's a soothing quality to it. Uh, great tune. Yeah, I, did, I didn't really talk about the lyrics that much, but yeah, I, I he has these kind of, you know, just the, in the the first verse saying, I'm careless like a comet. Like I just, something like that, it just kind of, it's not like a perfect line, but it's very personal and, and just kind of sticks with you in, in a way that I appreciate. Hey, you. Yeah, this is a good song, but it hasn't, hasn't totally grabbed me yet. I, I, I don't know, maybe it will. I, I can't remember. I don't think I actually listened to the full album uh when when you were talking about it back in the day, but I, I probably should do that. I'm curious if it's if it's if it's all a little bit uh, I don't know more out there than this. I, I would be interested in hearing what that sounds like. The way you feel about this album is the way I felt about the Grace and Chance album from a few years ago, and the same sort of like you know preteen YouTube star becomes like mature uh, pop R and B singer songwriter. Uh, so. I definitely feel you spiritually on Ryan Beatty, but th- this song hasn't really uh, done it for me yet. It's fair. So it's my turn. I will do the Lana Del Rey song. When's it gonna be my turn? Open me up. Tell me you like it. Fuck me to death. Love me until I love myself. There's a tunnel under ocean In that I have, in in the last two months, gone from never having listened to a Lana Del Rey song to wanting to spend my existence <laughs> living inside of Lana Del Rey songs. I, I so she is mentioned regularly on a podcast I listen to, and I've I, I always Sorry, just thought, she's mentioned she's been mentioned regularly everywhere for thirteen but, years now. Like, but wh- I think, why? Well, because the th- well, so here's here's the. <laughs> But uh, do you want, here's the thing is because she's mentioned so regularly and the way that I looked at her name, I assumed it was just some pop thing that I wouldn't like. The, the, don't roll your eyes at me. It's just. The, you're, you're, the, not, you're not like a pop hater. You're a huge Miley Cyrus fan. So people would say that about her. I am. But there needed to be, a, for me, there's so much music. There needs to be a point of inflection as to why am I curious? And, huh? and so. And I like pop music, but there's a lot of pop music that is, for some reason, just because something is a great pop song doesn't mean that I like love it or anything. And there's a lot of, you could look at the Hot 100 now and I probably haven't heard 
93 of them. All right, but, but she's also been on year-end lists for a decade. She was nominated for Grammys. Like, like, they, like It's just funny it's just, to hear you say, well, this one podcast that was, it keeps talking about this, this artist, Lana Del Rey, and I decided, you know what, maybe it's time to give her, well, give her, that, give her but a listen. But that was the connection. That was the connection. It was like, I was, like, they keep mentioning Lana Del Rey, and I'm like, whoa, it doesn't seem to me like, th- like, like these two people on this pod would really like some pop star. So I went and I listened to the, I just went and listened to ultra violence and I was like, Oh, this is fucking cool. And, and the, the problem for me was that there was too much Lana Del Rey music for me that this is the issue of like having access to all of the music at once in that it becomes overwhelming. Whereas, you know, when you didn't have all the music, you would just buy an album and become obsessed with that. And then you'd have to legitimately make the decision to purchase more music, an entire other album and have that. So it became a lot for me. So I didn't go to, this is the most recent album, but I didn't go to this first. I went to ultra violence and then uh, the Norman Rockwell album. But this song is so fucking cool that uh, I think, I think lyrically the 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 chorus is cool. When's it going to be my turn? Op- open me up, tell me you like it, fuck me to death, love me until I love myself is cool. It it paints the picture of um, her songs paint the picture of like Jennifer. If Jennifer Connelly was in a David Lynch movie or something, is uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Dark City. It uh, her music makes me think of that, and the mood is always so cool. And I thought, I think this album is actually really good. It's one of the ones that I, I really like, but, and I like this song a lot. There's a lot of cool songs on this album, but this one seems to encompass, even though it's the title track to the record, seems to encompass the album. I think she is cool and the song is cool and this album is cool. I'm glad I finally listened to her, even though I'm getting shamed by Andrew Underberger for not having <laughs> listened. I haven't listened to Zach Bryan. He's like one of the biggest stars in the world. Yeah, yeah. but he's been one of the biggest stars in the world for 18 months. Lana yeah. Del Rey is one of the biggest stars in the world since 2011. But yeah. look, whatever it took, uh, I'm glad you got there. I'm, I've also been a... A longtime fan, Ultraviolence, my favorite album of hers. This album, I, I like a lot. It, it's it's gotten you know. So, sometimes I don't always agree with like the ones that critics decide to go in on for Lana Del Rey. It's like uh, it often has a lot more to do with like how annoying she's being in real life. Uh, that, Is that she annoying probably, in real life? She can be. Yeah, okay. she 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 makes some stupid things, stupid comments on Twitter, and like uh, mm, you know, she just oversteps sometimes uh, and. It seems like her critical reputation has like that that always hangs in the balance of of how how problematic she's being. So, but now she's in like a good a good run of of, of not doing that. So now people like her again. So that's cool. Um, this is a great album. Uh, it's not like my favorite album of hers. And this song, I, I like the song a lot. I don't know if I necessarily would have cited it as a highlight from this album. But listening to it again in preparation for this pod, I was like, oh yeah, okay, I can sort of see why he picked this one specifically. Uh, I don't have that much to say about it in particular, but yeah, I love Lionel Ray. This is a good song. I'm going to go to something very specific that she mentions that then speaks to why I like it so much. She uh, refers to Harry Nilsson, and uh, I love yeah. Harry Nilsson, one of my favorite artists. We, I think we discussed Harry Nilsson when Dave Hartley came on with us, right? We did that record, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, he gets mad at me, but I blocked that podcast out because he shit all over my record in the, that entire pod. <laughs> he, was, he was very mean about the Alkaline Trio record. So It was album. kind of me and him versus you because yeah. it was Simon and Garfunkel and Harry Nilsson and then... Yeah. This other Dave, thing over here. Dave not quite getting the pod, the object of the podcast, so <laughs> I memory hold that that right that episode of the pod. Well, anyhow, Harry Nilsson, uh, you know, I think 
the appeal that she has, at least in a song like this, is similar to when he would uh, really sink his teeth into like a big ballad like this. And uh, that's there's something very classic and cinematic about her sound. Uh, those are kind of terms that are used a lot. But when you when you hear what she does, it that is really the case. I just love the spacious sort of atmospheric uh, production. And it's one of those productions that there's a lot going on by the end, but it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel overproduced. It's like a subtle build in the track, and it's just her voice front and center. She has that effortless resonance to her. As a matter of fact, I'd say she's got like the female crooner kind of yes. quality to her voice. That's And I love that. I love that, uh, just that timbre that she has. So a yeah, really cool song. Jason? I had never heard of Lana Del Rey until this podcast. So oh, I, <laughs> you're never going to live Sorry, this Come down, on. But. I had to, I had to, no, I, I, I love Lana Del Rey. I, um, I, I'm honestly, look, I'm going to take the opposite. I'm glad that you've had this awakening. It's great. I, mm, I, I'm you. very happy that you have discovered an artist that made a lot of sense for you to love, I feel like. Um, and, and, and it is, sorry to interrupt, but it, it, it is also validating to Lana Del, like, the sort of reputation of Lana Del Rey in general that you don't have to necessarily be involved in the 13 years worth of lore that she's built up. Yeah. She has done, you know, she, yeah. it, her fans, like it, it's all very deep and it's all very like interconnected at this point. But the fact that you can come to it fresh and still be like, oh, this is just a great artist. That's, that's pretty cool. Thank you. I... I love this song. Um, I I was going back through, so I I wrote about this. We do this thing on Billboard called um, every uh, tracks ranked for for new albums. Basically, kind of quick hit snapshots. And again, we always have the caveat of like this album just came out. Here are our initial impressions uh, of you know the standout tracks on the first listen. And I didn't have this song very high and i don't know why like i listened to this song again a couple times in preparation for this and i was like this is an incredible song yeah. like it, it my favorite uh londo ray song is mariner's apartment complex on on norman fucking rockwell yeah. and like this song kind of has a similar vibe kind of has the kind of swaying anthemic but also very kind of intimate vibe that i i always really love from her and yeah i'm, I'm glad you pointed it out and I will say this on this pod because I could not say it on the Ricky because I would get there's too many listeners I would get obliterated. I like people that are occasionally problematic. It is interesting to me. the 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 podcast I found this on is Red Scare, which makes people mad because it is occasionally problematic. But I think that people that are that a lot of amazing artists are not concerned with lines and sometimes cross them sometimes cross them uh, without knowing simply because they're, they're being true to whatever they think and whatever they believe, which now is harder than ever because a lot of things are labeled problematic that maybe are just, I think not. And I think, uh, but also sometimes artists are purposely problematic because crossing those lines is necessary for somebody to do because at some point, and I'm not saying this is, I don't even know what Lana Del Rey said. Like, I, I don't know a lot of the, you know, the history of her. But I will say that things that become understood, agreed upon, correct, are oftentimes considered problematic at some point. And if somebody, for, whether it's art or politics or whatever it is, and if somebody doesn't say those things, then we never discover that they're either true or okay. And that goes back to, like 
when we talk about like our evolution as a country and as people, there are things that today we consider good and fair and accepted. And at one point people were demonized because of saying those things. And I, I enjoy the fact that E a either she's just being true or B she likes tweaking the fuck out of people because (laughs) I think people need that. And the more that we like, can get past this time where we obliterate, we try to obliterate somebody's career or life because of those things. If they, we can just sort of become numb to it, then I I don't know. So Uh, I didn't mean to get speechy, but that I like the fact that I didn't know that, but I like the fact that she makes people mad. I I think the things you're saying apply more to Lana Del Rey, the artist than they do to Lana Del Rey, the problematic public figure. I think because her art definitely does touch on those lines, especially her early stuff. If you go back and watch a couple things, you'd be like, Oh, I don't know if she would do that now, but maybe she would because she's Lana Del Rey. A lot of her, a lot of the time she gets in controversy for like social media stuff is just because she was talking shit for no reason. Uh, so it, it's not really like her being a freedom fighter, but I do think that, I do think that what you're saying, and I, I, I know I know I'm oversimplifying what you're saying anyway, yeah, but I, I, yeah. I do think that what you're saying has a lot to do with her artistic greatness and not necessarily uh, this other part of her. Yeah, I think, I, but I think all of that, like sometimes is, is wound up in, sure, in one person, sure. you know, is, is not always... Um, it's not always to like easy to separate, you know, the, that cut sort of artist from that sort of person. Um, and I like, like I said, I, I'd like when it is purposely controversial, it makes me feel like I'm part of, not always, you know, like there are some people where they feel like they're trolling, but there are other people where it's like this different sort of thing that I end up enjoying. So it's just part of my personality is like the consistent, you know, devil's advocate or contrarian in nature, but I, I, I sort of like it. You it's attractive say. to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I'll, I'll, hey yeah, I think it's my, I'll do my second song. Yep. Uh, I'll do uh, DJ Sabrina, the teenage DJ, uh, figuring it out. This, uh, again, another one of what I was looking at it last night. I was like, man, I don't know why I picked that song. Uh, but this is one of my favorite songs of the year, and it's my favorite album of the year. Uh, the album, I, I don't imagine anyone besides Jason here has, has given it a shot yet. Uh, I don't know if you've looked at it. It is over four hours long. Uh, it is, or, or actually, actually, it might, might I think it's a little, un, I think it's a, a little, little longer, under yeah. four hours 350 long. maybe, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, it takes basically an after, afternoon to listen to it. But it, it's my yeah, it's my favorite album of the year. It kind of catches a vibe very early on, and it's almost consistent on it throughout. Uh, and that can that that's not always a compliment. I don't think when when you kind of ride one feeling and, and one sort of specific uh, yeah one one specific vibe for that long, it can, it can get really monotonous or at least feels uncreative. This one, it's it's more like. Uh, it feels like club music because it's dancey and propulsive, but it also feels like ambient music just because it can you can kind of let it fade into the background as as needed. And it's it's always enjoyable and it's always interesting, but you can kind of choose how much attention you want to pay to it uh, throughout its duration. Uh, but there, it's occasionally interrupted by these really arresting pop songs, and this is my absolute favorite of them. This this song comes like two like two forty five into the album, thirty tracks into the album, uh, and it just <laughs> blindsides you, or at least blindsided me anyway. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about it as a song, except that I, 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 it, it's sort of 
indicative of, of the thing that the album does really well, where it's one main voice, but a lot of kind of side voices kind of pitching in, in the background. Uh, and it sort of swells to a, to a really interesting point. And uh, yeah, like it, it's, it's definitely the most conventional pop song on the album. Uh, but a lot of the album is just sort of hooks kind of coming in, fading out, coming in again later when you start aren't expecting them fading back out. Uh, and, and this is just, the sort of shows like while they can kind of do this thing where they, they create this like hours long vibe and, and you know, it's, it's not necessarily something that you have to be locked in on the entire time. They can also just sort of, you know, hit you beside the head with just a fucking great pop song for three and a half minutes. And, uh, this is that to me. It's one of my favorite songs of the year. So I'm, I'm very curious. I know how Jason feels about it, but I'm very curious how the two of you feel. <laughs> yeah, about just it. very quickly to, to jump in. This is yeah. so if Ryan Beatty is my number one album of the year, this is my number two album of the year. Oh, I, wow. I, lo- I love this album. Um, it's to, to Andrew's point, like obviously it's, it's gargantuan in its, in its runtime, but also like there have been so many days where I've just had it on while like cleaning up the house and, and cleaning up my stuff. giant <laughs> 25,000 square foot estate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just m- mowing a lawn for yeah. hours and hours. But, um, no, I, I, it's just been, uh, it's been a real joy to have this album to kind of sink it like i'll be like oh i haven't i don't remember this like six song run and i'll just go through it and it's just a blast that it feels like a long lost robin song to me yeah i really enjoyed it it sound it's like you know robin's had a really interesting long career and and her music has evolved a lot but that was where i i put it in my head like almost like yes it is a pop song but there is something more interesting going on there too and i i loved her voice as well but i i like this song a lot i think this is cool four hours is a little intimidating for an album but <laughs> but thank you internet for giving us the ability to do a four album for well, i'll say this Prince. about that there, there, yeah. there's some albums that are four hours just because it's a data dump and we had these 80 songs so why yeah. not just put them out and you decide what you want to do with them this is a very very carefully stitched together very very considered four-hour album where like you know there there aren't breaks in between tracks a lot of the time it kind of flows from one to the other it's more like a DJ set it's like a more like a four hour DJ set than a four hour album and on those grounds, still intimidating it's, buddy yeah. it's still intimidating of course yeah. of course but it's not it, you'll be surprised or maybe I was surprised at least how easy it is to listen to all of it Moot, what do you think this is a song that to me it feels uh it does two things it feels futuristic without feeling sterile or detached which is not an easy thing to do uh, yeah. production wise. And I like when it's something that's so synth and programming heavy has that warmth to it. And then, you know, you, you're, you're taken in by the music, but then there's this very poignant, reflective and philosophical attitude within or perspective within the lyrics. So it's one of those tunes that the more you listen, it just it just grows on you because you may not absorb the lyric up front initially because there's a lot happening musically that's, that pulls you in. But I love that... Uh, it's a song that gets better and better the more you listen to it. Now, the fact that it's a four-hour album is amazing to me. That just seems so counter to everything that's that's happening now. Uh, music is that that's not a new trend, is it? You guys would have a better <laughs> sense of that. I mean, that seems like extreme to me. Well, I, I think what we see now, I think we've probably talked about this before on on the podcast, but you see extremes of lengths on both sides, right? So you yeah. see Kanye West doing seven track albums, but you also see him doing, uh, you know, 32 track albums and then putting out a sequel a week later, you know? So I think the, the internet is sort of allowed that because you're not constrained by physical media in, in, in either direction. Uh, you don't have to justify any sort of length is justifiable. So I, you know, it's not like we're, we're seeing a ton of three to four hour 
long albums that are like impacting the charts or even like making critical consensus, but the options out there. And so if you have something you want to say and it's going to take that long to say it, then why not? You know, I would also argue just just in terms of uh, of this specific release, like we just talked about this this project and. Uh, I would say what half of the time we we spent talking about the four hour length. I mean, yeah. I think that it's attention grabbing. I think that maybe it was on purpose or not, but you know, putting out something that's four hours long, um, people are going to talk about it. People are going to be like, "Oh, what?" Like they're going to be really curious about it. And I think that you know, maybe it's by design, maybe, but it's effective. Uh, I should say we haven't actually said the name of the album at any point. It's called oh, Destiny. Yeah. It's it's a really really great album and. If you're into uh, the, the main reference points that I've heard for it, uh, shout out to Chris DeVille from Stereo Gum, who said this the first time and he was right on. Uh, it's the Avalanches meets the 1975. Uh, the Avalanches were an Australian sort of dance pop duo, m- mostly built uh, songs around samples. Uh, that, that Their album, Since I Left You, is considered one of the great albums of the turn of the century, and it's entirely stitched together through samples. This has a very similar feeling to it. But DJ, the Sabrina, uh, teenage, DJ Sabrina, the teenage DJ, also did uh, writing on the last 1975 album and you can you can definitely hear the sonic similarities there uh there's a lot of a lot of sort of artistic kinship and i i obviously love the 1975 uh and uh dj sabrina the dj sabrina the teenage dj is definitely like getting into that inner circle for me too so shout out to this album it's great the 1975 speaking of people who who are, and that's why yeah. I, don't, I don't disagree yeah. with what you're saying. Yeah. Look, I, yeah. I, I think I think the, Lana Del Rey and Maddie Healy are probably two of the best examples of the thing you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, for sure. Moot, your turn. Let's uh, do uh, these sacred souls running away. Were you guys, I guess, are you guys fans of this group or um, familiar with them at all? I think I heard them for the first time. I was listening through uh, the uh, the radio station WFUV was doing, like, they're doing their year-end poll. And I was listening, uh, me and my girlfriend were listening through, like, their eligible songs for it. And, and there were a couple songs by this group. Uh, I liked them, but I had never heard them before. I, I wasn't really that familiar with them to, like, place them in a, in a context. Yeah, I, kn- I, I knew the name. I, I, I didn't know anything else, though. Really cool group. We had discussed one of their other songs previously uh, on the pod, but uh, give a little background on them. They're a San Diego-based trio. It's Josh Lane on vocals, Alex Garcia on drums, and Sal Samano on bass. They haven't been around that long. They started releasing music early in 2020, but it's been a rather rapid ascension as, as far as them going national, international, building an audience. Within a short matter of time after they started performing, they signed Adaptone Records and Knowing the Daptone catalogs makes perfect sense when you when you hear this group. Within a year's time, they released a few singles, started getting a lot of streams, and started getting some not just national press recognition, but having people like Gary Clark Jr. and Timbaland champion them. I think sometimes for a group, especially if it's a group that's not going to have like a big hit single uh, dynamic to what they do, if you get the cachet of having some bigger names behind you and kind of talking you up, I think that makes a big difference. Their debut uh, self-titled album came out last summer, 2022, uh, co-produced by Gabriel Roth, who's the co-founder of uh, Daptone Records. Received a lot of acclaim, and they've been touring extensively since then. They've gotten onto a lot of uh, festival uh, shows, and I'd previously picked a tune called Love is the Way. I think this one has a very similar appeal. I think it's retro in the best way possible. 
You know, retro is not always great, but I think the way these guys do it is great. And uh, they really channel something. Even the the concept of the song just makes me think of a, of a tune from like a 60s Motown uh, catalog. It's a song about a guy who's, you know, uh, trying to commit to a relationship, but he's been hurt too many times, so it's tough for him. You know, it's Yeah, like, that is the most throwback-y you, right? You concept, recognize that, yeah. right? You hear yeah. that, you know yeah. what that is. You, but it feels, it's like, a, it's it, there's a... There's a comfort in kind of recognizing that concept, especially in this kind of musical context. When I hear them, I, I definitely hear the Motown thing first and foremost, but I also hear some of the uh, Impressions era, Curtis Mayfield, late 60s. Uh, not so much on this one, but sometimes you'll hear a little bit of the Philly thing too. And then Josh Lane's vocal is just so reminiscent of Marvin Gaye and uh, his timbre, his phrasing, his delivery. If you're going to emulate someone... Marvin Gaye is as, as great a singer to emulate as he can. And he, it just, I think it's natural for him. It's just his voice has that same kind of quality. And like I said, even though there's a retro element to it, I just think they do have a unique musical personality that comes through. And, uh, you know, curious what you guys think of this one. I did write down that it was my favorite, one of my favorite throwbacky, you know, retro things that, that you had sent me. I just, I love the horns in it too, man. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the horns are alive in this one. It made me think, what's the... I mean, it's not the same, but the, my best horn experience ever was when I went to New Orleans. What's the little band that plays in that tiny little room? Preservation Hall. Yeah. yeah. So the, and what's the band, the, uh, the something jazz Pres- band? Or, yeah, Preservation Press Hall, Hall jazz, jazz band. Jazz band. Yeah. So uh, Amos had told me, you got to go see this and like got us on the, people just wait in fucking line. There's no, like, you just have to wait in line to get in. And Amos like made a call so we got to like go right in and i there's no amplification and no it's just guys playing and with like wood benches it's really (laughs) fucking cool experience and i'm not a horn guy but i did did love the horns in that song and i did as as throwbacky things go i really really enjoyed this hey you uh jason yeah, no, I did this, this, uh, this immediately went, well, I shouldn't say it, it, did, it didn't immediately go on my, my 2023, like best of playlist, but once it got to the breakdown section, cause I, I was feeling it yeah, already, but nice. then once the beat cuts out and it goes to the kind of slow halftime section, I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> uh, but already I was in on this song. I mean, I, 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 I could hear the, you know, the chorus vocals, like even after I was done listening, I was going, running, 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 running away. Like it, it's, it's, su- it's super, super catchy. Uh, you mentioned Curtis Mayfield. I definitely got that sort of uh, that sort of move on up propulsion to the drums going in the background. Love that. Uh, yeah, this, this is a great song. De- definitely as far as throwbacks go, if you're going to do it, you got to make it really, really dynamic. And this is really, really dynamic. So, yeah. Uh, and Mood, if, if you're a fan of very specific Marvin Gaye vocal impressions, are you familiar with October London at all? No. When you're done, when we're done with this this podcast, you got to go listen to. I think it's called "Back to Your Place" or "Back at Your Place" by October London. It's it's a song that's been on like the top ten of the Shazam charts all year because anytime everyone hears it, like, is this a new Marvin Gaye song? Like, what, what the <laughs> hell is this? Uh, you gotta you gotta you gotta check that out. You can't just, go wrong with that, oh. Marvin. Uh, I mean, I, anytime that shows up, I mean, I, it's it's endlessly satisfying to me. I don't know, but uh, October sure. London, I'll check that out. I was just, yeah, I was going to call out the breakdown too. I just always love getting, because I, I listen to all your guys' picks like in a row, and mm. I love getting, I always like the, the Mootloo picks for these because they're always <laughs> like, the instrumentation is just so alive, and you just, like, you're the, you're the, the they are the picks of a musician, and you can kind of hear the different pieces of your brain working and kind of clicking in with songs like this, and I always appreciate that, man. Right on. Thank you. Um, who's next? Jason's next, right? Yep. Yeah, so I'll I'll keep this one pretty quick. 
I picked Clashing at the Party by Spiritual Cramp, which is my favorite uh, rock album of the year. It's been a good year for, for rock. Everybody made their way to the party. Put my hood up. I'll get it started. Open up the cabinets and scour. and kind of hardcore uh, albums. Shout out to the Military Gun album. Shout out to the MS Paint album. This is my favorite one. It came out a couple months ago. Spiritual Cramp is a kind of punk band from the Bay Area that don't take themselves too seriously, but they have really kick-ass guitar tones. They really caught my attention this summer. They have this, this single come out called Talking on the Internet. I love that song. And the whole album is is just great. I, I picked this one, Clashing at the Party, because like... Just the the kind of repeat he, the the singer clamps down on this this party at the part like he just keeps repeating the word party and kind of stretching it out and kind of doubling down in it in a way that just kind of hammers the point home. Um, this just this whole album is full of hooks. This one had the most like undeniable hook to me, and I just love I love these guys. I, I can't wait to see them live. I can't wait to hear a song like this live with the kind of whoa, whoa uh, vocal takes in between the verses and chorus. It's uh, it's really cool. I'm curious what you guys think. Moot, you first. Yeah, I really like this song a lot. This was a uh, this is also kind of a throwback in a way, but it doesn't feel like like a nostalgia trip or anything. But it's got that '80s new wave. Yeah, uh, thing that just I I always love that sound and that vibe. How any new band that can channel that, I'm into. And the vocalist, he's got that very specific '80s to me new wave vocal style, the baritone kind of delivery. And then, like you said, they don't take themselves too seriously. The, the lyrics, at least from what I get from, it, is about a guy ransacking a party, basically. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Which again, I like. Who would think to write about that? But I mean, <laughs> but but it's actually really. Alongside what's happening musically that's so compelling, it's it's actually what puts it over the top because it is kind of tongue in cheek. It is kind of ridiculous, but it's it's well written though. So. Yeah, and I should I should also mention there's a, a lot of kind of uh, observations on capitalism and and social issues kind of tucked away on this album. Not not so much here, but um, especially in the the first couple of songs, it's it's really interesting to kind of li- listen to like them having the kind of old school punk roots while also kind of deploying these like really super catchy, uh, you know, hook hooks and and uh, vocal vocal uh, hooks as well. It reminded me of two things. First, it reminded me of Rock, Rocky Horror Picture Show music <laughs> in that same campy, fun, you know, set. But also, there was like this very short wave in the 90s of alternative bands that were like, like, and this song is not perceived anymore as alt, but that's what it was. It was like How Bizarre by OMC and then Squirrel Nut Zippers yeah. and... And what was the Scooby Snacks song was uh, Fun Loving Criminals. And and it was like this, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, only that they all fit together in some way. And this band reminded me of that. And I thought it was, it was a really fun song, like a, a really cool band. And it does seem like a band that seems to be, Influenced by everything and nothing, almost like yep. influenced by everything, but fitting in no specific current <laughs> genre. You know, 
Uh, AU, do you like this? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, so Moot was reminded of the 80s. You were reminded of the 90s. I was reminded of, of my college years in the aughts. Like when I, when I was in college, every rock song kind of sounded like this. It was, yeah. it was that sort of yeah. post New York, post uh, like Britpop, uh, like you know, Kaiser Chiefs and the Electric Six and, and, and uh, bands with like yeah. very aggressive male lead singers uh, over kind of disco-y, trashy beats. Uh, I'm not necessarily ready to get nostalgic for that just yet. I'm, I'm not quite in that place yet. Uh, it's, it's a fun song. It, it's, it's not it's not going on my playlist necessarily. But uh, oh, for sorry, two. Yeah. I'm wow. oh, for 2 with AU so far. I got That's it. Right. I'm afraid so. I like we'll you guys clashing a little bit. Yeah. You know? uh, my turn. I'm going to go with Taproot. Because I don't even know the lyrics to my favorite. Taproot is one of my favorite bands from the new metal era that became popular, but they weren't one of like the giants, you know, like they were always, I think at their height, they were big club band and then maybe direct support of, you know, Disturbed or Godsmack or something. They, it seemed like they were on Ozfest every year for six straight years or something. So they're from Detroit and they, I, and I told the story on the pod once when I, when I worked in Chicago in 07, hired them to open up a, a, a radio show we were doing. They weren't even on tour or doing anything. And uh, it was a little too expensive, but because I liked them, we put them on the show. But they they are have reunited and they put together a, a new album and they're doing shows all over the place. And the album is pretty good. But this song, favorite song, was their, their first single. And... And it features uh, Elias Soriano from Nonpoint, which is another band that is still in existence and was on every, maybe the second stage for literally every Ozfest in history. And it, first, it is fun to hear Elias Soriano on a Taproot song. Second, the hook from this song is a monster, but it's also sort of like purposely about being a, a monster hook like the, the the lyrics i can't tell if he is in favor of like earworms or if he is making fun of them in some way but the song is like i think it is a easy hook to love and it gets caught in your head like i was singing the song for weeks afterwards so this is a combination of i love the fact that it exists i love the fact that it was like good at once and i also you know, a new Taproot album could go either way, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. But the fact that it was good, I liked it. And the fact that it was instantly fucking hooky and got in my head. So anybody can jump in as to how much they, they do not enjoy this song. But you oh, could, I'll, you I'll, I'll start, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, I do appreciate that. Uh, it's that it kicks off with the hook, like kind of in, in media stress. Like it just, it just gives you it right away. Yeah. I respect that. Uh, and I also... I'm finding it increasingly difficult to remember the lyrics to my favorite songs these days. Like, <laughs> yeah. like it, it used to be like I could, I could, you know, be able to sing along to a song after hearing it a few times. Now it takes like 20 to 30 listens for me to remember most lyrics to, to most songs. 
aside from that, I can't say that the song really did it for me. Uh, I, I will say I went back and listened to a Taproot's poem, and that was yeah. a better song than I remembered. Uh, this song, it's we talked about a bunch of songs where like it kind of starts in one place and ends in another, and kind of unpredictable along the way. And I do appreciate them doing that here, but the the different parts of the song didn't really fit together as seamlessly for me as some of the other songs we talked about today. Poem was a, like a rock hit, you know, sure. that was their, sure was. their biggest yeah. hit. It was a good tune. Jason, so I liked the song. I didn't like the production. You know, I would I would love to hear. I was while listening to the song, I was like, I'd like to hear like as weird as it sounds like an acoustic version of this song. Cause I do yeah. agree with you that like you can hear the chorus and be like, Oh, this is, this is catchy. Like this is clever. This is enjoyable. But like, there's just, I, I, I feel like too much going on be- behind it and around it. And, um, yeah, I was, res- I respected it. Uh, but yeah, didn't, didn't love the, didn't love the production. I like the meta quality to this uh, <laughs> yeah. song, you know, like, uh, talking about a song, where that's, you know, referencing something that could maybe possibly happen to you as you listen to this song, where you yes. wouldn't necessarily <laughs> yeah. remember <laughs> remember all the lyrics or, you know. But I, I think that's, that co- conceptual thing I like, I, I, I agree with the, what you said, Jason, that it'd be interesting to hear this presented in a different way. Because I do, I do like the tune. On the one hand, I think there's this dynamic where the, it's a big hook, and then each time it comes in with this heavy riff right after, it's almost like a post-chorus which is cool, but it also seems very arbitrary. Yeah. So I'm just curious what happens if you uh, peel all this away, because I think it's an interesting tune. And again, anytime there's a lyrical concept that I that is fresh or that sort of is somehow referring to itself and referring to other things all at once, uh, I find that definitely compelling. AU, your turn. All right, so I'll go to uh, Jane Remover here, Cage Girl slash Cam Girl. track on her new album uh, Census Designated which is like de- definitely one of, uh, for from for like half of Jason and Maya's world this is like one of the albums of this year and for the other half probably not even on the radar uh, but this is one of my favorite album openers in a really long time uh, and I still can't quite put my finger on what like, it reminds me of something specific and I can't quite get to what it is uh, after listening to it many times uh, Two, two things I came up with last night that are kind of close. Uh, one, Mood will appreciate. Uh, the other, you two will. Uh, the, the one for Mood is, uh, it's got like a little kind of Prince quality to it, like Purple Rain, yeah. another mm. Lonely Christmas kind of Prince, where it's just just him kind of wailing on, on the guitar, maybe sound, sounding like he's like playing like a, a really big cave, where there's just, just endless reverb and echo. Uh, and the guitar on the song is just so fucking beautiful. Uh, and... The lyrical sentiments are, are really intense, uh, and 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 the other so the the other reference point I had that 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 Jason and, and Spike will appreciate 
is uh, Outside by Aaron Lewis and uh, yes. We yes. talked about Outside on our, the, actually Moot and I talked about Outside when we did Stain's Dysfunction. We talked, nice. about, we talked yes. about Outside. Moot, out, uh, Outside was a song with Fred Durst that became uh, right. popular, the live version. That was a version. debut, right? That was their debut? No, record. no, it was, it was actually just like, it was on a live album. It yeah. ended up, they, Aaron Lewis did it with Fred Durst just sitting on a yeah. stage where Fred Durst, famous line, I'm feeling those lighters. Feeling those lighters. I, I have a T-shirt that says that on the back. Uh, oh, it's one of my one of my all-time favorite songs. Uh, yeah, outside. it's a great song. Uh, but uh, it, this has the same sort of feeling of like playing a you know a solo, a, a, a true guitar solo for like uh, you know being played in the Grand Canyon or something, mm-hmm. uh, where it just kind of echoes to and you can you can see the lighters out in the in the crowd and whatnot. Um, and is that the lyrics do have that kind of outsider feel to them as well? And that chorus lyric, uh, you know. Keep my eyes open. Everyone knows, but nobody cares. I, I love that it, it could be read as comforting or alienating, to kind of depending on what kind of perspective you want to put on it. It could be, could be like, yeah, everybody knows about this thing's going wrong with me, and nobody cares, and that's terrible. Or it could be uh, there's this thing that I'm ashamed of, and everybody knows it, but nobody really cares about it because because I don't want to feel so embarrassed about it. So I, I appreciate that sort of double meaning to the chorus. Uh, the rest of the album hasn't totally grabbed me the same way as this one song. Like, I keep listening to it, expecting that like, oh, this is going to turn into one of my favorite albums of the year. Not quite there yet, but th- this this opener is just so fucking powerful. Uh, really, one of the songs I'm going to remember from this year. Jason, will we continue our trend of you guys hating each other's music? No, I feel uh, like I'm simping for AU, and yeah, he just keeps swatting point. me down. Good point. Uh, good point. Good point. I, this is actually one of my favorite albums of the year. I, uh, you know, it's interesting because Jane Remover put out an album. Uh, called Frailty uh, in 2021 that um, kind of became like a cult classic. And this I do album, love that album, by the way. That was one of my favorite albums of that year, for sure. Um, this one has gotten a, a much more mixed response. I think it's a, definitely more challenging, obviously, as this kind of opener hints at. I love this album. I think I think this album is challenging in, in the best ways. And it, it really kind of, I have to sink into this album. It, it forces you to pay attention to it and, and just like I love this song, I love this opener. Um, I can, uh, another another album I can't wait to see live. Jason's an AU simp. Um, yeah, Jason was I'm, not I'm a fan a, of my first song though. He was he was not a fan of the Nicki Minaj song. So that's, we, 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 yeah. that's fair play to certain. Yeah. You know, I stand AU and and it's not <laughs> reciprocated. That's that's fine though. It's okay. Moot. Uh, yeah, I like this sort of uh, stream of consciousness feel to this one. It doesn't. It's not locked into like a. a, a standard pop song form and that's actually what makes it uh, special I think and also something about this is going to be a weird I like the Prince reference I definitely hear that but then I'm going to go totally out of left field and or maybe because I just love this band so much My Bloody Valentine I wrote Shoegaze Down so yeah uh yeah 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 so it's 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 there it's like it's it's even though this is stylistically very different uh like a it's a track where the voice is almost like another texture within the music at times it's and I think it's partially how it's mixed. It's not mixed very high. It's not they didn't bump it way up in the mix, so it's kind of like blended with the music at times. But sometimes that's the perfect treatment for a vocal, especially for a song like this. And I just love that production, that that atmospheric, spacious production, which uh, is not easy to do. It's not easy to do that and to make it not sound washed out because it doesn't sound washed out to me. It just it's very dynamic, but it just has that spacious uh, quality. Really cool tune. Yeah, it's like this shoegazy dream pop like thing. I, I wish it was longer. Um, in wow. That it, yeah, it it sets a, it just sets a mood that you would like in the same way that I think about wanting to be in the world 
of the Lana Del Rey songs, I felt like that about this one. Like I just, I wanted to be in the world that the song was creating and sort of sitting there. It's a, is a very atmospheric, but also not forgetting about the song and also not, not uh, obviously not super catchy or anything, but still engaged and not becoming background music. It's an interesting combination of a bunch of different things. I thought it was a, a real winner. I th- one of my favorites oh, from the list cool. so far. Cool. Moot. Let's do uh, Reuben James, uh, Sun Goes Down. Are you guys familiar with Reuben James, or had you been familiar with him uh, before this? A little bit. A little bit. He, he, you might have heard of him, not necessarily on his own, but in the context of working with other artists. He's a vocalist, songwriter, producer, uh, and musician from Birmingham in the UK. Uh, he's worked extensively as a sideman and collaborator, collaborator with everyone from Sam Smith to Herbie Hancock to Marcus Mumford. He's been very versatile in his career as a sideman and just a, a guy who does both studio and live work. But now he's uh, started stepping out on his own. I, I got to his music more through following him on Instagram and just what he does as a keyboard player. He's an exceptional musician, exceptional player. He's one of those musicians who has all the technical chops in the world, but it's not really about that. It's the way he, the, the, the feeling that he puts into every performance of just him playing a keyboard solo will move you. And uh, that's how I caught on to him initially. I thought it was more just as purely as a musician. He does these really cool clips that I imagine he puts on TikTok as well. Uh, Then he started bringing his own material into it. Initially, I saw more just like instrumental tracks. Then he started singing uh, over the last few years, and I started catching on to what he does as a songwriter and a singer. And he's actually got a great voice, too. So this past summer, it's kind of been a steady buildup, but this past summer, uh, in June of this year, he released his debut album, Champagne Kisses. Great title for a that's I think Prince would would be proud of a, a title <laughs> yeah, like that. Sounds yeah. like he stole it from Prince. Almost. Yeah, it could have yeah. been. Yeah, it could have. That, that sounds like a Prince song. Like yeah, like it's yeah. like an obscure B side or something. Yeah. But uh, Champ- Champagne Kisses debut album. And I previously picked another tune uh, earlier this year called "This Could Be" from this record. On this one, it's all about the groove to me because uh, you hear it up top. It's that deep syncopated drum and bass groove that. Makes me think of the 70s, but also makes me think of uh, 90s uh, records, too. He's kind of somewhere in between those worlds. It's definitely throwback, but also, but the same thing, like, as some of the few of the other bands he says, it's not a nostalgia trip. Uh, he's just pulling from a lot of different sounds. Uh, on this one, I love the sort of easy, smooth falsetto. You know, he's not over-singing too much. It's just right in the pocket there. And I think when you listen to this song, especially, uh, maybe as, as much as any tune on the record, it showcases his musicianship because his keyboard playing, as you listen to the album, it's it's a rhythm component. That's a very important rhythm component, but there's also a melodic quality to what he does. And he stretches out a little bit at the end. And when I hear him, I, I do, it does channel some of the not, uh, mid-late 90s R&B like Maxwell and uh, and D'Angelo. But I would re- if you like the tune, I'd recommend the record because it's just 10 tracks, half an hour, all killer, no filler. It, it's a, you know, it's a, 
it's like a date night record, you know, put it on, you know, champagne kisses. I yeah. don't know. It <laughs> sounds just right. That's exactly what it is. You know, <laughs> I, I thought this, the vibe is awesome. I like the other song that we talked about on the, a different episode, a little bit more than this particular song, but I do love the vibe of his music and the vibe of this song. Uh, uh, Jason. Yeah, uh, definitely a good discovery. Again, kind of uh, right in that Mootlu zone um, <laughs> that I that I really like. Just really likable, and yeah, it made me want to uh, check him out more. I again knew knew the name, didn't know a, a ton of his backstory. It, it seems like a really interesting guy, and obviously this was there's this, definitely a warmth here that that really connected with me. Yeah, hey. I mean, it's n- not not much to add to it. What's already been said. I definitely want to check out the full album. I, I feel like this song this didn't necessarily, you know, didn't grab me the same way that Running Away did because it's not quite as dynamic. But it's it's definitely got a good feel to it. It's got got, got good production, the warmth, like everyone's saying. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll for sure. If it's half an hour, you got me for that long for sure. He, yeah. he does look fucking cool on the album art. <laughs> he's smooth. He's a. Yeah, he's got I was the, gonna say. He's Jesus got the Christ. vibe too. It's like yeah. yeah he's got. I, he to me is. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised in the next few years if he just becomes like an R&B star, like Superstar, because he's already been out there as a sideman for a long time. And I, I, what I saw is that he's already touring in the UK and Europe and like selling out everywhere he goes. So I don't know if he's really crossed over here yet. It doesn't seem like he has, but he's got the full package, the musicianship, the voice, and the look, and the sound, yeah, and the vibe. It seems like uh, the the Anderson Pock lane might be open for him yeah, at some point. Absolutely. That, that, that feels like a like a, a good sort of precedent for him to follow. You see a picture of this guy and how cool he is, and I wonder if he and I are the same species that you even like. If, if, like, if, like I don't on. even What would it feel like to be that cool? I, just, I can't even imagine the feeling, you know what I mean? So, uh, Jason, it's your turn. All right. I, I have to, of course, uh, throw out my annual uh, hip-hop pick yeah. that Spike will hate. Uh, this is uh, JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown's Step a Pig. Collaborative album from JPEG and, and Danny called Scaring the Hose that came out earlier this year. It is, again, it is called Scaring the Hose. Incredible title track, by the way. I almost picked that one, but I picked Step a Pig because it does a couple things. Um, it shows. First, it my, scares all the hoes. First, the hoes are scared. First, and most importantly, the hoes are terrified. <laughs> you know, my favorite thing about this album is how abrasive it is. Uh, it takes a, a little bit of time to get used to, but this album, especially the beats and their kind of respective flows, absolutely shake you awake in a way that I really appreciate. Um, and, and it just, it, it's an exciting, fresh hip hop project to me. And, you know, this, this particular song, Step a Pig comes, I think it's the second song on the album and chops up, uh, Gone by Sync. That is, that is the, pr- uh, prominent sample on there. And they just, they just, uh, you know, basically, t- uh, treat it as like a punching bag. Like they, they absolutely pulverize this, this sample. And, you know, I've been a Danny Brown fan for a while. Uh, I was not a JPEG mafia fan, uh, before this project, but they sound 
so complimentary uh, on this because their their flows you you know you have the kind of Danny Brown like obviously signature nasal super high flow and then uh, JPEG kind of floats beneath him and I aside from the kind of abrasive quality of it I, just the fact that they play so well off each other throughout this project um, you know it's just it it really kind of hit all of my ple- uh, pleasure centers just listening to this. This is probably the album from this year that I've listened to the most, um, just because I, I always kind of gravitated toward, even even though it is abrasive, once you kind of get it unlocked in your mind, I just, you uh, I totally gravitated toward it. So yeah, scaring the hose. I'm I'm sure I've mentioned this theory before, but I do believe Gone by NSYNC is the most important inflection point in, in Justin Timberlake's career, in that that was the first NSYNC song that was accepted in urban radio and and by that that sort of audience and that unlocked the ability for somebody from a boy band to be cool and Justin Timberlake sort of crossover from boy band guy to legitimately sort of cool and accepted pop star that was beyond boy band that song if you look at I'm, I'm sure it's not a huge jump but there there is an inflection point in that particular song i think that's it i actually love this song wow Um, so i love that it is it is difficult to like at first and i love the chaos of it like it was so chaotic from it reminds me there's this i don't know how i stumbled upon him but there's this this like I don't know, band, whatever, called Wargasm that I found yeah. on on Spotify. And then the song with Fred Durst? Oh, maybe that was where I found it at first. So yes, good. That, I so that's where, I, yeah. that's where I found it. And I just went and listened to it. And I was like, and by the way, like we'll talk about next, it, it'll make sense. But 100 Gex is like, at first you're like, ah, I don't know, this is a little much or whatever. But once, once you find yourself in the groove of it, it is fucking cool. And I like the fact that it there's a gatekeep portion of it that is hard to like at first and then once you get inside it's enjoyable and it's too long which i also like them a song like this should be 242 yeah and it is not they torture you with it and i <laughs> i think this song is cool i enjoyed it i i can't say i it caught in my head but i loved having it on you know i loved listening to it 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 I, like I downloaded it, it went right to my you know faved songs or whatever. So it'll, right. go, it'll go into playlists. Moot, man, the production on this track is just something else. Yeah, I'll start with wild. one specific detail: the bass. That there's that elastic rumbling synth bass. I wish I knew like specifically what that is. I, I'd love to be flying the wall to see like what's that sound and how did they track that because that thing just hits you right out of the gate and it's kind of there wall to wall. And then it's like, you said chaos. That That's what this song yeah. makes you feel. And it, it just sounds coming in and out. It's like there's constant ear candy in a song like this. It's not, you know. And the fact that it breaks out of any kind of verse, chorus, verse, chorus form is actually what makes it distinctive because it's just these guys throwing back and forth uh, lyrically. Is there a Mo Bamba reference in there? Uh, in some kind of, I thought I caught mm. something like that. I could be wrong. Wow. Maybe there, I heard I did, it. I did want to ask Jason if, if, there were, if the reason he chose this song was because of the reference to future sixer DeMar DeRozan. Which, which ah, that's a good yeah. reference, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah um, I, did not, I did not pick it, but yeah, I, I, I do agree. I do agree. There's definitely some basketball-centric uh, lines, but I just think it's this is a song that's like a sound collage. You know, when you think about 
in, in a very different context, but the Beastie Boys, some of their production, especially like Paul's Boutique and some of their other records where they're just constantly new sounds coming in out of the track. This is a whole different take on that kind of, that style of production. Uh, and it's actually, it's one of those tunes, like a number of the others, the more you listen to it, the more you hear new elements of it. And it's just, uh, yeah, it really hooks you in. Hey, you, do you like this? Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, I, I like this album. Uh, I, I don't really have it. Like, yeah, we got. I got one. I got yeah. one. <laughs> Giving you a go, charity Jason. like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't really have like favorites on this album. I've only listened to it a couple times, and it hasn't been like one song. that's like, yeah, this is the song for me. And it's it's funny. Like it, I I love Instinct's Gone. That's that's very 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 possibly my favorite Instinct song. I did not catch any kind of sample from it in this song. I, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it again. Yeah, I, I'm sure I, I must have just based on it, but. I'm usually pretty good at catching those. This this totally went over my head, so I'm, I'm looking forward to going back into that. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good partnership. It's a really smart partnership for them, both in terms of sound and in terms of audience. Like I was talking to our, our, our friend Ross the other night, and he said that he saw these two guys together, and it was actually like way more of a JPEG Mafia crowd. Were, were you there I, saw, I saw it okay. with him, yeah. Okay, my bad. All right. How, so you, how it, dare so you him? Confirm for me. It was, was yeah. it, uh, it was way more of a JPEG Mafia crowd than a Danny Brown crowd. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's what he sure. said. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, you know, I, I would have thought it was the other way around, if anything, because Danny Brown has much more re- name recognition for me. But I guess JPEG's got the younger audience. Danny Brown's a little more established. So it's just a good partnership. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, we get a sequel to this album in a year or two. And maybe they sort of go on like a, a sort of run the jewels type run for a little while. I think that would probably be a good idea. So my turn, and we'll just do the one that I was just talking about. And we've already done this on this pod, but people seem to check in and out on these pods anyway. So it is uh, Dumbest Girl Alive by 100 100 Gex, which was another suggestion. That album was a 10,000 Gex was a suggestion from a Carl Landry Record Club listener. It's two people, uh, Dylan and Laura, that create this. How would Jason AU? I, I don't even know what genre this would be. I, is is this a specific genre or no? It probably gets grouped in with the hyper pop moment. Yeah, even okay. though I don't know if you necessarily call it hyper pop itself, but it has that sort of sensibility to it. But it, it's, it's I guess you could call it like hyper rock because it's hyper pop, and most of its reference points are are a rock. Like, yeah, post grunge alternative rock. Yeah, so this is this song has the honor, and it actually happened this morning as I was playing the playlist of all these songs in our dining room, sort of writing things down, being the honor of the only song my wife has ever told me in the car to please turn off. <laughs> After, Rock and roll. Yeah. God damn, yeah. There's a, uh, it was 30 seconds into it, she's like, what is this? And I said... <laughs> Oh, I said, it's this new thing we're listening to for the podcast, 100 Gex. She's like, I hate it. And I was like, well, it's only, you know, two, two and a half minutes. And then 15 seconds, she's like, I really don't like this. Can you turn it off? <laughs> I went, so there are two, sp- I love this. I love the, again, chaos of this. And I, there's two specific things I like about it. First, you talk about the rock references. I don't know if it's on purpose by, by, or by accident, but the riff is very, very similar to Papa Roach's Last Resort. And if it's on purpose, that's cool. If it's by accident, that's also cool. But hearing, almost hearing sort of like a 
it almost seems like it was sampled and remixed into this was a, a cool reference point. But then also, it's got, it's got, it's got a little uh, Randy Rhodes in there too. Maybe yes. like, uh, yep. And then, and then like, I think it's like a minute 45 into the song. There's this quick little Spanish guitar and then the song just sort of erupts into, if you're imagining a show, it is that point in the song where like a, a pit would be on. There's always points in songs that you can't wait for in my old pit days. There are points in songs where you can't wait for the pit because you know what it's going to be like. You, everybody in the pit knows this is the time when we obliterate each other. And it is right after that Spanish girl live I, or Spanish guitar. She says something like, you know, like, let me tell you that. And like the, the beat comes back harder and it's like a breakdown. And this song has not escaped my listening since we listened to it at first. And I think we'll be there for like almost ever. I love this song. I love this album, but I love this song. Anyone can go, but I fucking love this song. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, I will say actually Jason. Oh no. Yeah. Was it, it, go ahead. I remember when we listened to it, I sent it to Jason and I said, who, have you ever heard of this? Do you like these? And you're like, eh, everybody sort of likes them more than me. And then two days later, he's tweeting about how much he likes 100 Gex. And he fucking- <laughs> It's true. And yeah. you got really mad, I know. I did, I did get mad. I will say, I gave it, an, I gave it another chance. Here's, I do, I, w- and when I made my albums list, uh, 100 Gex or 10,000 Gex, the album was like right in the middle of it because um, there- is no other album this year that has like some of my absolute favorite songs of this year. While also there are songs that are completely unlistenable to me. Like I, I there are like Insta skips for me. Yeah. Uh, not, I not will a frog s- on the floor guy. No, I love frog <laughs> on the floor. The, I will say the, the middle album run of frog on the floor, Doritos and Fritos, which is my favorite song on the album. Oh and uh, Billy knows Jamie because the, that's the new metal song. I love all of those songs. Uh, I also love Dumbest Girl Alive. Again, really great song. There are other, like 757, the song that comes right after uh, Dumbest Girl Alive on this album, Insta Skip. I can't listen to it. <laughs> can't do it. Um, I respect the hell out of them. I, I Obviously, I love a lot of this stuff, but it's also like every song is like a genre exercise yeah. and some of them just work better than others. I think this one works really well though. Uh, Moot? Oh, Moot, you've already... Yeah, actually, let's do AU and then Moot, because Moot and I have already talked about it, but uh, excited to revisit. But AU, why don't you go first? Yeah, I fucking love the song. Uh, and the, the I definitely hear what Jason's saying. It's not like a perfect album. They'll probably never make a perfect album, and that's probably by design to a certain extent. Uh, but to me, there's two like absolute classic songs in this album, and it's Hollywood Baby in this one. Uh, I, I've been going back and forth because I, I when, I, when I do my year end list, I only do one song per artist, and so I've been going back and forth on which song to go with. I think this this exercise, like listening to it for this uh, for this podcast, has has swayed me towards Dumbest Girl Alive. Uh, for me, like all, all the reference points, you know, we talk a lot about the '90s rock. There's like some ska stuff, there's some new metal stuff, and there's all of that. To me, this is Sleigh Bells reincarnated. I, I don't know how big you guys were into Sleigh Bells when 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 that band was popping, like at the turn of the last decade. Spike, you, you should definitely check that out. If, if okay. you're, if yeah, I don't know consider it. Consider this my formal like uh, Carl okay. recommendation of treats my <laughs> sleigh bells as, as, as for your next episode. Okay, uh, but it's the same thing. Two people, just fucking heavy drums, heavy guitars, just going in. D- definitely like you know a, a little meta, a little self referential at times, but also just incredibly visceral. And like it doesn't, it, it feels, it never feels too cute. It always feels like 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 the the power of the music is still the most important thing. 
And the lyrics on this song are fucking hilarious, man. Like, put emojis on my grave. What, what, what more could you ask for from a rock yep. song than this? And I, both my least favorite and my favorite thing about this song, the thing I respect the most and the thing that I find the most uh, frustrating, is that they only really give you the kick-in part at the beginning and at the end. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite songs from this year also does that uh, Shakira and Bizarrap's uh, Bizarrap Music Sessions Volume 53 where it hits you with the hook right away and it's so goddamn good and you just want it back the entire time but it makes you wait until the end of the song to give it to you that second time and that's that's a really cool thing and I'm sure it makes it go absolutely insane when it happens at the concert but I do kind of wish there was like a 3 minute 30, ver- 30 second version of this song where I got that part like 4 times give me like the 12 inch version of this song and, and I'll be happy forever but yeah, this this is one of the songs of the year, no question about it. Yeah, I love this record when we discussed it, and what an album opener this yeah. is. Uh, you know, the monster riff, and then the lines, if you think I'm stupid now, you should see me when, I, when I'm high, and I'm smarter than I look, I'm the dumbest girl. I mean, like, just that, those two things, the riff, and then coming in with that, is, uh, it's one of those songs where you're immediately like, whoa, what is, what is this? Like, I've never heard anything quite like this. And you kind of touched on the thing you're asking, like, what genre is this? I think it's kind of a, there's a whole legion of bands now where you can't really say what they are one way or another because within the same song, there are three or four different things. This is like part hard rock, part, there's a little bit of a hip hop thing in this as well. And then it's sort of also lo-fi electro indie rock or something. I don't know. I'm trying to come up with terms for to describe it, but that's the whole point is that you can't really. It's a mishmash of a lot of different things. And it packs so much into 215, which I think is always impressive. I mean, it gives you your money's worth in just that short amount of time. So, yeah, this is just uh, this is what this is one of the songs that definitely stood out to me over the course of the year. This whole album, I should say, stood out to me. You guys did mention new metal. I actually think that the new metal influence here is probably the greatest influence in on the album. Like, I think it is directly as somebody who was deep in that era, that era defined my, my, my personality and existence that under Gex was, was definitely, or is definitely has a lot of that into it. All right. Final round. AU. The one you have left is soccer mommy's dagger. Soccer Mommy's Dagger. I can go quick with this one because it's a little bit of a cheat. It's a cover of one of my favorite songs from 30 years ago, Dagger Bite by Slow Dive. You talked about Shoegaze, My Bloody Valentine. Uh, this is sort of like the, the second, this is like sort of the Pearl Jam to, to, to My Bloody Valentine's Nirvana, at least in terms of the way people view Shoegaze retrospectively. And actually, like, uh, people younger than me, even people younger than Jason and I, like kids these days, fucking love Slow Dive. Like, they, they're, they're definitely become one of those bands that has almost become more popular now than they ever were in their heyday. Like they tour now, they play venues five times the sizes that they played in the nineties. This is one of, this is actually not one of their most representative songs because it's basically just an acoustic ballad. It doesn't really have that wall of sound guitar feel to it, but it's also just one of the most devastating songs I've ever heard. Uh, and soccer mommy released a covers EP this year, uh, which is just, it's just five covers. This is one of them. And I'm, uh, one of the reasons I included this is because I had been calling out, I actually called out on Twitter, that Boy Genius should cover the specific slow dive song Dagger. And then like a week later, Soccer Mommy announced that she was covering it. I was like, all right, close enough. That's, that's still pretty good. <laughs> uh, Soccer Mommy, uh, Sophie Allison, she's been one of the best uh, indie singer songwriters for 
at least five years now, maybe a little bit longer even. She had one of the ultimate pandemic albums a couple years ago, uh, and she's sort of in between album eras now, but this covers EP she did is really excellent. Uh, she does versions of songs that I, I wouldn't think would be coverable at all, like like R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion. There should be no way to do an interesting cover of that song, but she does. Uh, really clever and... and, and reinvents the song a little bit and, and doesn't doesn't necessarily just heat, heat to the original this is actually one of the more faithful uh, covers on the ep uh but just because I'm, I'm i'm such a huge fan of the original and I, I love the way her voice sounds with it uh it, it's still one of my favorite songs of the year my one complaint is that the original version one of the best things about it is that there's the, this this kind of signature harmony this two-part harmony on the chorus where uh it's, it's one low voice and one high she only really does the low voice here so I'm putting the offer out there to Sophie Allison right now. Uh, you come to New York. You want somebody to get up there on stage and do the high harmonies on, on Slow Dice Dagger with you. I am there. Wow. Yeah. Let's fucking go. <laughs> uh, just a, a quick aside that, that, that will force us to go longer than I intended. Uh, just, <laughs> just, a, just a note. And this is not a negative about them, as I do enjoy them. But everyone's got to like take a step back with the boy genius stuff. Like a little step. Wow. <laughs> a little step. Can we? That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Can we? Can we chill out a little bit? Like, like, come on. So, you know, I that that's my only. It's good. Yes, of course. Everybody it was be, but, very very quickly. There has ne- there has not uh, been an album set up for more like yep. love and success in recent memory more than that, just because of all what all three of them did as yeah. solo artists and yeah. how great the phoebe album is so like that album could have sounded like anything in the world it could have been a phone book recitation people would have loved it well and this is coming from a person believe it or not that i have a tattoo here that is like <laughs> yeah. conceptually me and my dog yeah yeah from a boy wow. genius song. It, yeah me and my like it is literally me and my whatever but me and my dog like is a it's not just me and my dog. Like it is a specific line in that specific song, which I love. But but yes, I would agree on that. So I, I thought I don't under you know, we were emailing about it. I don't know the reference point to either Soccer Mommy or Slow Dive. I don't you know I, I think you'd you'd like Soccer Mommy more than you would like Slow Dive. Yeah, I'm not yes. I, I do enjoy sh- some shoegaze but like my bloody valentine i like listening to but it's not a genre that i'm super into or whatever i thought this was cool it reminded me we just did a cigarettes after sex album on the on the carl that it reminded Mm -hmm. me of just in terms of like the the vibe and the sound this was really cool i like this a lot moot yeah i just love that melancholy mood that it creates and really with just her vocal acoustic and a synth i mean it you don't it doesn't need much more than that it gives you so much there she has one of those voices that is just understated but can convey so much nuance and dynamic and emotion. And uh, I'm not familiar with the original, but I just love the the poetic quality of the lyrics. A lot of times the lyrics, I'll try to deep dive into them and try to understand what's being said. I tried that with this. I It's, it's I really resistant. Yeah. yeah, it's very resistant. I couldn't figure it, but it didn't matter because there's something mysterious and kind of haunting about it. So sometimes you don't really need to know. Yeah. exactly what's being communicated just something about the way the words sound the way they come across uh, uh jason uh i've been simping too much for au uh on this pod I so this. i hated it yeah, <laughs> yeah. screw it no it was it's a good cover yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, wow. that's, that's a totally reasonable review of the song yeah, yeah. yeah. uh moot you got uh bebo Gil- gilberto as your fa- your final song Devo argumentar Isso é bossa nova Isso é muito natural 
que você não sabe nem sequer presente É que os desafinados também têm coração Right, and this kind of comes full circle because we discussed her album uh, Tanto Tempo earlier in the year and then just recently yes. we did the Getz Gilberto album, the, yeah. probably the most iconic Bossa Nova album there is. So quick backdrop on her. Uh, we discussed her fairly recently. We kind of discussed her both times, both albums. But, uh, you know, she's the daughter of uh, Joao Gilberto, legendary uh, singer, uh, guitarist, composer, and also the daughter of uh, Mayucha, a legendary uh, Brazilian singer. So she's from Bossa Nova royalty, uh, I would say. It's a good way between uh, Joao Gilberto and Mayucha. From a young age, she was traveling with her father, uh, as he worked on different records, everyone from Stan Getz to Caetano Veloso, David Byrne. And when she was young, she separated, so she kind of split her time between Rio and New York. But eventually she moved to New York full time and uh, was really working as a singer and a musician from a very young age. But she did her first EP when she was just 20 years old in 1986, collaborated with a lot of different artists. She got some bigger visibility, I think, from the Red Hot and Rio compilation. Uh, that gave her some bigger exposure. But really, the breakthrough was the album we discussed earlier in the year, Tanto Tempo, from 2000. I love that album. It's one of my favorite records. In the years since then, she's done six more records. And most recently, the record that just came out at the end of the summer was an album simply titled Joao, which was a, a, a tribute to her father. And basically, it's a collection of songs that were a big part of his repertoire. And... Um, and and a big part of the Bossa Nova repertoire. So she just, I've heard her in so many different contexts. A lot of times she tries to push the envelope or bring different elements into the Bossa Nova sound. It's interesting to hear her just do something a little more traditional and standard. Now, this this song is definitely one of the standouts. I know we discussed it on the Getz Gilberto album, uh, Desafinado. It's, uh, it's definitely, I think, one of the highlights of that album. And it's interesting what that what this song says or what it does musically and lyrically. Because uh, Desafinado actually translates to out of tune or off key. And it's, it's, I think it's twofold. Uh, it was written by uh, Antonio Carlos Jobim and Newton Mendoza. But if you know Jobim's writing alongside Joao Gilberto, he's probably the most influential figure in bossa nova music. Uh, he has this very specific, incredibly catchy, but winding melodic style when you listen to his his work. And this this song has that. And... The lyrics are sort of talking about the beauty of imperfection, the beauty of uh, dysfunction almost, you know, that there's beauty in the flaws of life. So the, what the lyric communicates is, is meaningful both musically because he hits, there are some dissonant chords when you listen to this composition, but it's also reflecting the lyric. I love that it kind of speaks to those two things. It's just incredibly uh, pleasing to hear Babel Gilberto do this song because I know the original so much from the Getz Gilberto album. And uh, referencing the two, she definitely takes some cues from her father, uh, but also totally takes this and makes this her own as only she can, her phrasing and delivery. She has a different kind of rev resonance to her voice. And just, uh, you know, if you, if you dig her, I would say start with Tanto Tempo, but this is also a good place to start because this is her paying homage to her father, who's this legend, this um, powerhouse in the world of bossa nova music. And uh, it's kind of cool to hear her just do some of these songs that were more closely associated with him. The, what's it called? She makes this like song cooler, I think. I think there's like a a um, sort of inherent coolness to the delivery and the the feel of this of this song that I think is is awesome. You know, uh, I I can't quite nail the the vibe or the the atmosphere that I think of, but it is uh, it is a 
really cool song, I think, is I kept listening to it, thinking about how cool it, it felt. Not quite as cool as Ruben James looks, maybe, but like somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in between. Still smooth, though. Yeah. Smooth. <laughs> uh, Jason? Yeah, I, I just, it's a beautiful tribute. Like, I, I, I studied up because I, I wasn't familiar with uh, Bibel Gilberto before this, but I, I, I figured there was a connection. Uh, his daughter and, and just kind of researching. It was, it was really cool. Like I kind of got sucked into the world a little bit of this, that, that this project and this, and this song kind of represent. So it was cool. Right on. I guess I'll just, I'll just echo Jason for the last one to say it was a good cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't wow. really have that much to add. Just hey, so no, no, that, that's, that's not, that's not a negative. It's just, yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm not like super well versed in, I mean, I, I'm, I'm familiar with Espinado and, 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 and the original album, but I, I just, don't know that much to add about it. It's good. Uh, Jason, your final is Romy. I'll tell you what, I picked a song that I know AU is not going to dismiss uh, because he loves this album more, uh, as more, if not as much as I do. Uh, so the song is She's On My Mind by Romy. Romy is, of course, Romy Madley Croft of the XX. Um, the XX, their last album was already six years ago now, which is, is a bummer. Yeah. I, I hope they uh, make something soon. But that album, I See You, was one of my favorite albums of the 2010s, uh, basically opening up the XX uh, kind of sonic blueprint into a little bit more up-tempo, dancey, um, you know, just uh, Jamie XX bringing in some of his DJ electronic uh, solo stuff into the XX as a whole. You could hear on that album, Romy start to branch out as as a vocalist, working with, again, a little bit more up-tempo fare. And... She put out uh, an album this year called Midair, and it's just wonderful. It's a wonderful dance pop album. She sounds just fantastic across the whole thing. Um, she has a, a Grammy nomination uh, for her uh, song Strong with with uh, the, the huge producer Fred again. And She's On My Mind is the, the last song on this album, and it's just kind of a perfect distillation of everything that I love about it. It's just, it's very soothing, but also very danceable. Um, it's just a full of grace and, and just kind of care uh, that I, I really appreciate. Obviously, there's been, um, you know, a lot of, uh, like, it's it's been a, a very hectic year for me, and this is an album that has been something that I've returned to, to just kind of like nestle myself in and, uh, just really enjoy and just kind of groove around to. Hey, you. Yeah. I mean, this is very, very possibly my favorite song of the year. Like, uh, Romy, sorry, it's actually Romy. I, I, I forgot. Oh, we got, we got to I didn't pronounce know. it correctly because I have a, my, my girlfriend's best friend's name is Romy and, and she was devastated to learn that, that, that Romy was actually Romy. So, uh, uh, I honestly didn't know that it's Romy. Yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty sure that's correct. I've definitely called her Romy to her face. Whoa, without, <laughs> I'm oh. sure she's used to it. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll check with Lisa after this, but I'm pretty sure that that's right. Damn. Um, but her voice has like been a part of my life for like 15 years now, and I, I think probably now because I would consider her one of my favorite singers of, of, of my lifetime. Like. It's so, her voice is so expressive and there's such richness to it. And there's, 
like it, it, it feels so adaptable to so many different types of music. And, and Jason and I have talked a lot uh, when, when, when talking about uh, the much more successful singer songwriter Adele, like why won't she just fucking make a dance album already? Like she has such a great, powerful voice for dance music. And whenever she kind of dabbles in it, it sounds awesome, but she'll never kind of go whole hog into it. And I would have said the same thing for Rami before this. And it's so wonderful to get her to just dive into this entirely. And she's great doing like like indie pop and sort of dreamier stuff and, and kind of more soundscapey stuff. Her voice can support that. But she's also got the power, not, not in like a traditional kind of disco diva sense, but in that her voice is just substantial enough that it can really, really anchor a, a, a club track like this. And it does for, for 10 songs on this album. Uh, and the lyrics are great. The, the, the hook, like it's got this kind of Abba worthy hook to it that, that drives it the entire time, which I love. And I love that the entire, the entire song she's saying, you know, she's on my mind, think I'm in love with her. And then at the very end of the song, she flips it to like actually getting like the, the unrequited lovers answer to her. And, and the answer is, I think I'm in love with you. And that's like sort of the, 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 the climax of the song. And it, it's sort of this incredible eruption and catharsis and man, what a good song. And she saves it for the end of the album. Like yeah, what, what confidence it takes to, to put a song like this as the last track on your album. Uh, but it's worth it. And, and, and the entire album's great. And this is the best closer of the year. And, and again, maybe my, my favorite song period. Yeah. I mean, from a pop song perspective, there's, we haven't talked about anything better on the, the pod today. It's yeah. the, like masterfully executed. Actually, it's an awesome song. This is another, uh, you know, I don't know how much you'll make fun of me for this, but this is like another name that I've seen. I've seen Rami's name all over the place and I can't recall. It's, it's not the same thing as Lana okay. Del Rey. Okay. I've never, <laughs> I, I can't recall ever hearing one of her songs, but this is an awesome tune. This is just a, I don't have much to say about it other than I, I, I don't think that there's anything that you could fix on it. You know, like yeah. there's nothing that is out of place. It seems like almost meticulously crafted. Yeah, I'll just piggyback on a couple, pretty much what you guys said, but her voice, that's the thing that pulls you in at first. Just that that smooth but unaffected quality to the way she sings. And she does something, Spike, that I know you like. She sings in her natural accent. There's, you know, sometimes you'll hear certain uh, vocalists who sound great but do like an Americanized yeah. accent. She doesn't do that, really. It just It's uh, it's very understated but very powerful. And I love the four-on-the-floor uh, dance groove. There's something about that drum pattern with the major chord changes in this that are just will always be appealing to me and uh you kind of touched on this but the lyrics it's like an unabashed love song but the lyrics in the song are not your conventional love song lyrics and that's what i think makes it it makes it not feel too syrupy sweet or too uh too overly sentimental i think it's just uh there's so many levels to this one but yeah just just a great track yeah, it is a, a really good song. Um, so my final one, it, like we talked about Zach Bryan on the pod before. I think uh, we joked about whether he is country or not and that Zach Bryan fans are sort of insistent on saying that he is not country. <clears throat> Though if you go to a Zach Bryan concert, I'm sure it looks exactly like a fucking country concert and almost nothing different from it. But this this album is great, but this song is, I think, an, uh, an incredible meeting point in between what attracts me to the music and the country part of it. Like, I don't So I walk miles on the Tulsa streets Lights started beaming in from the east 6 a.m. and fucked up again Asking God where the hell he'd been He said the sun's gonna rise tomorrow Somewhere on the east 
heart of sorrow You better pack your bags Well, stick out your chest And then hit the road The sort of uh, folk but almost Jersey sound of, you know, Springsteen Gaslight Anthem, like that sort of aesthetic. I think this song captures almost perfectly and does have a, a very good talent for writing great hooks. And this song sounds like it, it could have been one of Gaslight Anthem's best songs. Um, and I, and I feel like I f he feels honest to me. You know, there's something about his, his music and his presentation that feels like he is, he is being honest. And honestly, that is something that not a lot of country does. I think I, I, I don't buy into it. Maybe it's just because it's not part of my culture, but I do. I, I love this album. This has become one of my few favorite albums of the year, but this song is the standout to me. I don't know. Are you guys Zach, Jason, AU? I don't know what your, your, yeah, uh, well, you and I is. talked about him a little bit. When oh, we right, about right. Noah Khan. Noah Khan. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I like Zach Bryan a lot. I, I was a, a bigger fan of his last album, but his last album was also like again, it was one of those thirty plus track albums where it's just you kind of take your favorites and move on from the rest. Yeah. This album, the self titled one, is a little bit neater and, and probably a little bit more uh, cohesive. And this is probably, if not my favorite song on it, certainly one of them. Uh, I, the, the the realness element of Zach Bryan is sometimes a little bit overstated. I think uh, he you know, he he definitely puts on airs too. He definitely doesn't always walk it like he talks it. Like there's a big thing about him protesting Ticketmaster at the turn of the year, and then like it got a little too hairy for him. He's like, actually, you know, I kind of want to play stadiums after all, so maybe not. Uh, so he kind of backed off that. Uh, and and there have been a couple moments like that in his career where it's like, well, you're kind of an outlaw, but you're also kind of playing the game, even though you want to look like you're not playing the game. Right. But to right. your point country is such a self-celebratory genre yeah. that can be almost exhausting and, 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 and stifling at times. And the, the fact that there is a little kind of negativity or, or at least a little conflict uh, inherent in Zach Bryan is refreshing for someone who's playing at that level. Uh, and I think that's something that the country world desperately needs, even if I don't think he's necessarily this, this incredible barometer of authenticity. I think he, uh, He's a, he's a voice that we needed to have at that level. And you got, you got to play a little bit. You got to play the game a little bit to even get to that level in the first place. So I'm fine with that. This is a great song. The phrase East Side of Sorrow twin, twin, twinges me a little bit because it's like, eh. would anybody ever actually say uh, the sun's going to rise tomorrow somewhere in the East Side of Sorrow in conversation? That seems a little a little too much poetic license for my taste, maybe. But uh, it's a great song. It's a great album. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that Zach Bryan has gotten to where he's gotten as quickly as he's gotten there. I think it's a good thing for country. It's a good thing for music. Makes me, makes me think about like someone asking for directions. It's like, Oh, where's the Quiznos? All right. You take a right on the East side of sorrow and you keep going. Um, yeah, I, I love this song. I, I really, really like this album and it's been a fun experience for me because I, I'm a, I'm a Zach Bryan, Bryan fan. I'm not a huge Zach Bryan fan, but I caught him live last year, last fall. He played Pier 17. Um, this is uh, in support of American Heartbreak and, and kind of before he really blew up. But I remember to your point, Spike, about his crowd, like this was a New York fall show before he had really taken off with like a 34 track album and everyone there knew every single word of every deep yeah. cut. And I was like, oh, this guy's going to be, this guy's, got it this guy's got the juice yeah. and uh it's been cool it's been cool to see him rise and you know we've talked a lot of, at billboard about like singer songwriters being kind of the biggest trend in in pop music right now and just like no flash and no kind of uh 
pop chicanery, just more like this is, you know, deep, intimate songwriting, really connecting with people. Now he's playing stadiums. Uh, great song, great album. Uh, I'm, I'm very much here for like him being def- one of the defining artists of the decade. Two nights at Lincoln Financial Field. Crazy. Yeah. Now he Crazy. does have, he is, there is a Philly thing. I guess he dated a Philly girl for a couple of years and he's an Eagles fan. Is that what he is? Huge Eagles he, fan. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but fuck man, two nights at the link. Two is, nights at the link is pretty is, good. Is serious. Moot, I know you liked it when we talked about it the first time. Yeah. This song just showcases his ability as a storyteller. He yeah. has that skill to sort of create a scene and put you into a scene. It's very uh, visual and he does that on the lyrics throughout this one. And then, uh, I do think you, when you listen to this song, this album, you do get a lot about him personally. Like you get, yeah. uh, whether some of it is maybe uh, amped up a little bit, I don't know. But uh, you feel like you get a lot of his experience and a lot of his perspective on things. And uh, he's another one of those performers that without having to oversell it, just brings a lot of this like raw emotion to the performance. I think that's what people react to. Sometimes people react to that without even consciously knowing it. Yeah, but I think there is that undeniable thing. I mean, the, the ascension he's had is just extraordinary to me. To that he's doing multiple nights at stadiums. That's just uh, I don't know. What, what would you guys chalk that up to? I mean, uh, yeah, the music is there's something undeniable there, but there's got to be something more to it than that. I think people have a, a need for connection and a need for big things that do not exist anymore. And so there are a few of them, but they are bigger. You know, I I always say when I was a teenager, every band I I knew played at the spectrum and now it just, it does not, you know, there were like six really big bands or whatever, or eight really big bands. And now it's just different. And it's the same way. It's not the same fan, but it's the same reason Taylor Swift can get to the place that she is, is I think people's desire for shared experience in music and when there is, and by the way, like, like there is something, you know, um, when you start peeling away what people like and what don't like being able to appeal to both a country, which is something that Taylor Swift does as well, given her past, be able to appeal to a country audience, which is enormous, but also to just sort of the white rock American audience, whereas Taylor Swift goes to the the pop audience. But like, I think that's, that would be my sense of it. I know you guys are, I'm curious from an industry perspective, why you think it is, but that would be my guess. Well, I, I was going to say the name you just mentioned. I mean, and, and we should say her name at some point on this 2023 podcast, but <laughs> yeah, Taylor Swift. I mean, look, she, she put out two alt folk albums in 2020 at the height of the pandemic and they changed the course of popular music. Uh, they, 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 it's not an accident that you see folks like Zach Bryan, Noah Kahn, and uh, Tyler Childers and other, other people of, of that sort of stripe. They, they, they all started kind of taking off around that time. And I don't think, it's not you know directly responsible. It's not, it's not something you can directly tie to her, but she just raised the ceiling for all those dudes because she took her audience of many, many millions of young people who maybe didn't necessarily have a way into this music before and she gave them the map. And, and that now is being reflected in some of the numbers that these artists are putting up. And it, it's it's... I think some of them would, some of them would even say this as much that that just the ceiling is higher for them now because of Taylor Swift and especially because of those two albums that you put out ahead of the pandemic. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And, uh, have you have you come around to her no, at all? No. No. She's okay. a soulless robot. I I respect her. How dare you? <laughs> well, the, she is. I mean, she she is. She is everything that she creates is a. Now I have respect for her for her ability to do it. I think it is, mm-hmm. 
it's amazing. Like there's, there's no doubt that her ability to craft what she has crafted and the songs are obviously great pop songs. They're, they're undeniable. And, and the tour was obviously a great show and she has a, a very keen business sense on how to manipulate, manipulate for lack of a better word, but manipulate her audience into sure. following her and putting her on her side. But you watch the shows and it is almost like it is generated by artificial intelligence. It is, it is fake and soulless. It is, and I'm not saying she is soulless, but the music, while they are great pop songs, I just do not believe that, that it, I'm not hating on anything being popular. It, it is. I, I can't, I can't say it shouldn't be because it is, it is because the people like it, but it, when you line it up against a lot of the other things that the other, a lot of the other solo artists that have reached this sort of peak fan and critical um, f- positive feedback, the Madonnas, the Michael Jacksons, the of the world, I just don't think she measures up. I like I, I don't think she is brave or interesting or even real. And I, I can't get past the fact that I'm, I'm watching her and I'm like, this is bullshit. Why can't everybody see it's bullshit? It's the same thing I think when I see Bruce Springsteen. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, he is there, there are some commonalities there, no question. He just got paid $3 million to do a podcast for Spotify with Obama. What are we talking about here? This is not, he's not a coal worker from Pittsburgh. Shut up. Uh, so so I, <laughs> I knew there was going to be something about yeah. the boss somewhere well, in it's here. Just, she Towards is, the end. It she, wouldn't be she, an episode She comes it. from every man land. Like, the, like, I would rather hear more about her honest upbringing and experience as to, like, ra- the, it, that would be more interesting to me than, than whatever this is. But, but she's been this Taylor Swift longer than she's been that Taylor Swift by now. Like, that, but, she got but famous this, when she was 16 years old. But that's fine. She's 34 but this, now. But I think this Taylor Swift is, I think when a lot of people get famous at a, a young age, it prevents them from becoming a real person because there are expectations on their character, on their, on who they are. This is, this is why I am so attracted to artists who say the wrong thing. Like, I wish she would say <laughs> the Taylor wrong Swift thing. is not the artist yeah. for you. That's, yeah. That's, but, that's but for she, damn sure. She won't because she knows it will hurt the business. I respect that. Like, I get that. But I, I would, it's not interesting to me at all. Like uh, the only, actually the only moment that I was like, maybe I'll get into how Swift is when she was fucking dating the guy from the 1975 yeah. and then she dumped him. and no offense to Travis Kelsey. I have no problem with him, but like her, her one relationship being with problematic rock star who that is making her fans mad to then 100% Q rating NFL star <laughs> becoming a, like a, a marketing campaign is, yeah. is the, I is the perfect example of what is wrong with Taylor Swift. It's the well, perfect the, example of it. Well, the marketing juggernaut of Taylor Swift at NFL games is something to behold. Like it's insane. Just from a, a an analytic standpoint yes. of marketing. Yeah. Put those two phenomenons together and uh yeah, th- that part of it I I could see. It's like it, it I don't know if it's manufactured, but uh there's certainly benefits on both sides of that yeah. marketing relationship. It's not uh, so manufactured, the, but it's not not manufactured. The, the one I thing guess. I will I will say, like, I, I don't actually disagree really with anything you're saying, although I disagree with some of the you know, the tone and the degree of it. But <laughs> yes. you, there are still moments. <laughs> I'm a performer. Hey, I'm performing. No, <laughs> yeah, there are still moments in her songs where 
you can kind of feel her commenting on all this. Yeah. And those moments are worth sticking around for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And but in my opinion, anyway. And, well, and, and the, I, I, the, the empowerment of it, like the artist empowerment of it is like interesting. The, mm-hmm. the, her re-recording her albums and getting her fans to listen to that version of the album is interesting. Like yes. it, it is interesting. It's an, in, but, but I think it's more interesting from a business perspective than it is from an art perspective. I think it is a good model for artists to look and say, how do I build community? How do I get people behind me? And once they are behind me, how do I take that and turn that into like money? You know, which is, <laughs> she certainly did that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, year, which yeah. is what she's done, which is no small feat and honestly could be modeled not just for, for musicians, but sort of any from, for artists, for podcasters, for, for anything. How do you take the people that like you and grow that, but also make them feel like they're part of something? Like, I, th- I think one of the most impressive things she's done is the amount of passion that she has for something that is the biggest fan and the biggest thing in the world that I think human nature is when things become big for your diehards to be like, I don't really like this anymore, but they like almost like it more. Yeah, there's still like a an excitement about Taylor Swift being recognized in any mainstream capacity that you would it would make you think that she's an underdog on some level. Well, she in reality could not be any more of an overdog, overcat. I don't know, like whatever the opposite overdog is. Like that, that's overdog. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that was long. Thank you guys. Two things to to put a bow on it. It's a good time to shout out. uh, A, you just dropped a five thousand word essay on Billboard.com about Taylor Swift's year. Kind of putting it edited very (laughs) helpfully and well by Jason. I should say putting it in historical context. And the second thing is, in terms of the re-records, I'm looking forward to the Rice Ricky Sanchez Spikes version, in which uh, everyone agrees that sick guitar solos are uh, (laughs) much better than effortless dunks. Well, I'll tell you this: Mike's argument on the side of effortless dunks is like i'm letting him hang himself like he <laughs> he has become he he has he is not, the perception of him is now anti-art anti-artist anti-musician anti-actor and also unwilling to let people choose guitar solos and be left alone about it <laughs> is is honestly turning him the, into the anti-actor the one was, that, 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 that was, was a, a really good one sure. it really honestly good. felt as a comedy writer to be like kind of dangerous from a career perspective i loved it yeah loved every point of it yeah <laughs> it's very very good okay thank you both of you of course here we are at two hours for this fucking podcast never a doubt yeah, it wouldn't be a year-end episode if come on do it yeah. like that yeah that's right thank you guys i love you both yes jason i love you, you pleasure as always yeah. i love all you guys yeah. you guys all are, right. are awesome absolutely all, all right, right.